Hey, Maddie, how's your family? You know, family's great. They're still big. They're still huge. And they are still really... Um, uh, I, I, I have some problems with them politically, in general. Well, let's talk about another family today. Which one? All kinds. Oh, my God. It's episode four of Fry Gay the 13th. We have some bad hombres here, and we're going to get them out. The box. You opened it. We came. Bing, bing, bong, bong, bing, bing, bing. I love China. Hi, I'm Jackie. Wanna play? I just want them to suffer. I joined Donald Trump on the Republican ticket because I believe he has the right leadership and the right vision to make America great again. In 2017, a majority of Democrats turned into alt-left radical psychos, but we'll get back to them later. I will build a great, great wall. I don't like them putting chemicals in the water. They turn the freaking frogs gay. Do you understand? to Friday the 13th, folks. It is episode four already. I am so excited. I'm here, of course, with Andrew. Hello. And today we are talking about, uh, really in both segments, we're talking about family. And family values, and for fam- matter. Well, certainly in the first segment, we're going to talk about family values. Uh, and, and we're talking about that uh, because we're going to begin talking about the DeVos family. Now, if you don't know who the DeVos family is, you probably, at least I hope, know of one Betsy DeVos, who is our Secretary of Education on the Cabinet for the President, um, or whatever you want to call him. <laughs> um, she's been sort of a nightmare for a number of different groups of people. And, and just kind of a dummy. And and just kind of a dummy. Um, she did, I don't know if you, you I think you saw this, the, the 60 Minutes interview a few weeks oh, yeah. ago with, yeah. with Leslie Stahl. Uh, this interview from somebody who heads up our education department was so bumbling and stupid, uh, it really boggled my mind. I'm surprised she didn't actually just get up and leave. Like, at some point, you are so embarrassed that you just leave. Well, you know, what's funny about that is if she had done that, her supporters and Trump supporters in general and everyone who supports this administration, they wouldn't have cared. They would have loved it. They would have loved it. They would have cheered it on. They would have said, don't take that from the left wing media. It's just fake news anyway. Right. You don't have to answer the fake news. So of course you can get up, get get up and go. Um, She does. She continues to show herself to just be, um, like you said, just sort of an idiot. Yeah. About everything. She's just under, underqualified, always has been. Right. Basically rides on the coattails of, uh, having too much money, right? And you know, she she. So it, it's it's no um, it, it is no surprise to anybody listening right now 
that schools in our country, especially public schools, are in a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. And they are, uh, there are many, especially in urban areas, that are underperforming. But not just in urban areas, also in rural areas, where there is very little money for local school councils. Well, get... just think about Chicago in general. Oh, we're, one of, you know, we're one of the biggest cities in the and U.S. And we remember, close, we're in Chicago. And we close schools every year. We do. And it's, it's a little bit terrifying. And so, um, you know, she, she said in that interview uh, that she has something along the lines of, I have not intentionally visited schools that are underperforming. And Leslie Stahl told her in the interview, maybe you should. Yeah, maybe that's where you should start. I mean, that's kind of a bigger deal than just having, you know, basically... No, it's just, it's kind of boggling that you wouldn't want to start there. Um, I mean, great, we celebrate successes, but we need to also recognize that there is a need there. And we have to, we have to go to those schools. Those are the kids that we need to, like... Develop. Well, sure. I mean, you know, I happen to work in education for my career, and I can tell you that the only way that you make good policy, the only way, the only way that you make good decisions, is through observation, is through collecting data. And you cannot make decisions about children's lives without collecting good data. Right. And for her to say that she has not intentionally gone to any underperforming schools to see what's going on implies to me that neither has her staff. Right. Because she has not put an emphasis on it. Instead, she is trying to spin the entire situation so that charter schools and religious schools get more money out of yeah. this. Because deep down, inside of her heart, and inside of her practices from her past in Michigan, she believes that public schools shouldn't even exist. No, it should be for-profit schools only. Exactly. And that is a serious problem. I'm, I'm a product of public schools. Yeah, me too. You are too. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't even think we had private schools where I lived. Well, sure. I mean, and the only private schools that we, that we really had where, where I grew up uh, were Catholic schools. Yeah. Uh, and there was one Lutheran school, God bless it. Um, but, you know, if you, if you didn't have the money to go there, you didn't have the money to go there. Right. And did those kids arguably get a better education back where I came from in, you know, in, the, in, the, in the 90s? I don't know. I think in some ways they probably did because they had more resources than yeah. we did, for sure. I mean, we always felt like the poor kids in, in, in my hometown. And they were probably able to pay their teachers more, so they were probably they were. able to get more talent to come Absolutely. to them. Absolutely. It's, it, it's all cyclical. I mean, you, if you get taught from better teachers, right. you're going to be a better student. Right, sure. <laughs> I mean, but this is a really terrifying horror in real life moment, that this is who we have running the Department of Education. Right. You know, if Betsy DeVos wanted to stay home in Michigan with her very rich family, which we're about to talk about, and do her own advocacy about parochial schools and about charter schools, you know what? So be it. It's America. You are Well, welcome. she already completed that yeah, task. Right. So. <laughs> wait, wait, you, I mean, you know what I mean. Like, mm -hmm. you're, you're welcome to do that sort of thing. But for her to go to the entire nation and basically say public schools are shit, they're not worth it. We're going to de-emphasize how much money we're giving them. Right. It's out of control. Frankly, it's racist. Frankly, it's classist. And it is, it, you know what? It's a little bit evil. Yeah. No, I mean, and we saw over the course of the Obama administration where we were, we were giving more funding to public schools that grades did go up. Test scores did go up. Yes. So the correlation is there. We oh, just absolutely. need to figure out <laughs> why can't we keep doing that? Yeah, I right, don't sure. understand. And you know what? There, there was a recent strike. Uh, I guess this is last week now from the time that we're recording today. But, you know, we, we had this strike on Syria last week. Mm -hmm. And we launched so many missiles. And I think each one of those missiles alone cost like one and a half million dollars. Think about. Oh, I know. If that money. 
Oh, I know. Could have just been spent on fucking public schools, right? Or paying our teachers, or paying our teachers what they're I mean, what yeah. they're worth. Any 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 aspect of the public yeah. school, it could have been spent there instead. Instead, what did we spend it on? We spent it on what Americans value most, which is violence and death, and that is terrifying and sad. So, do we want to talk about the rest of this this family? Well, I, I think that we should, and I think I want to let you lead this because, folks, Andrew has a very unique point of view here because, number one, he's from Michigan, and number two, he's waited on the DeVos yes. family before. Tell so, us that story. I, I'm not going to name the uh, restaurant that I worked at at the time, just it just because. A- it was Applebee's, wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> no, that Ru- was before. Ruby Tuesday. Yeah. Was it Ruby Tuesday? Well, it, it is true. I was a, a Apple buddy for about five years. Did it have a salad bar, this restaurant? No, actually Damn it. Didn't. I want a salad bar right now. Do you think that the DeVosses are going to a place that have a salad bar? You know what? They're thrifty. <laughs> um, no, so I was working at a very upscale restaurant in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, and basically every Sunday... For the most part, they had reservations and would bring in their entire family every Sunday. Pretty much, uh, and this is about this is about thirty dollars a head wow. for brunch. Okay, um, but I was always their preferred server. Really, which is really odd to me, given the, their past. Really, yeah, mm-hmm. they would always ask for me. Now, did they? Okay, l- let me ask you this because I because I I don't know you from those years. Yeah, did you read very gay then? Uh, I don't think I was much different than I am now. Oh, then in that case, you were reading Queen, <laughs> Screaming Queen. Uh, I think maybe I was a little bit more conservative, just because yeah, of where you were. The, yeah, where I was and, and the time in my life, and yeah, and, 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 I was and you were like at yeah. work, then, yeah. so that makes sense, right? Okay, all right. Um, just interesting. What I will say is, they are perfectly nice family in, sure. in in person. They yeah. never did anything to offend me in any way right. to my face. I'm not talking about the hundreds of thousands of dollars that they've given to conversion camps. I'm not talking about what, that side. What, what kind of what conversion camps are you talking about right now? So, like, basically, uh, they would give money every year, hundreds of thousands of dollars, to private funds that pushed conversion therapy for gay people. Wow. So, there's all that. It's hard, you know, and I'm sure some of our listeners out there themselves have been through conversion therapies. Yes. Yeah. It's still out there. It's not. It's uh, thankfully, there. thankfully, it's not as prevalent as it once was. But well, thankfully, it's still there. thankfully, it's not legal in a lot of places right. anymore either. But anyway, considered. yeah. So I would. I basically waited on them. They all were perfectly nice. Their kids were actually very polite. Um, uh, they were actually decent tippers. Um, they better be. I mean, until you really go deep down into what they actually do, from the surface, they just seem like a normal family. Sure. You so know? where does their money come from? So basically, all their money comes from uh, the co-founding of Amway International. Um, and if you don't know what Amway is, uh, if you think Mary Kay or Arbonne, to a certain extent, I think Arbonne's cleaned up their act quite a bit, but um, those types of, um, what, do, what do they call the end? Multi- Multi-level marketing. So basically pyramid schemes. Right. Um, they made all their money on basically making products overseas. Branding them their way. So I'm talking vitamins, lotions, shampoos and conditioners. I mean, for, like, in, in, in Amway's case, really everything. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's why, like, I think when it comes to MLM companies, um, some things like, I don't know, you know like, like some skincare products. Like there's something that is like specifically skincare or something that is like specifically like fitness related or whatever. Yeah. Like it's a little bit more believable, Right. right. Because it's it's something that like people really believe in. You know a lot of people. You can go and sell it. In a lot of cases, well, okay, if you use it and you like it, well, why not? Yeah, fine, totally get it. Amway is so different because it is 
so systematically coming into your life mm-hmm. and changing everything that you the beauty, the bath and body, the home, the food, to literally Yeah, they've expanded everything, everything yeah. Um, you know, my, my parents were part of Amway, actually. Dad was a salesman all his life. And, and one of his good friends, who was a really good man, I might add, that I, that I know well, and who really believed in being a salesman, it made a lot of sense to him. Sure. You know, like, this is a thing where, you know, you're buying products but, anyway, why not buy it from Amway? But did he, did he become a millionaire off of this? He did not. Like they no. promised that you do? He did not. And, and, and that's the money to invest in it, to buy products mm-hmm. and then sell them, or to go out there and get your other things too, then of course you're going to make money. Right. It makes absolute sense. But that is not the case for millions of people that get it. I don't like using the word evil anymore. And I, I know I used it earlier, but I, I really should stop because I just don't really believe in it anymore. But what is... And that's and making And making profit. And making a lot of because profits. Because what they... Like I, like I alluded to earlier, buy it for exactly. way more and then make other people buy it for right. way more. So, I mean, like, uh, American workers are not benefiting DeVos worth. Um, Richard DeVos, who's the eldest of the DeVosses that are still alive, is worth about $5.4 billion. That is absolutely terrifying. He owned the Orlando Magic. My God almighty. <laughs> so, um, that, ain't the, that ain't the only thing trashing Orlando. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, um, it, it's terrifying. And, it, and it's, it's very, very American, right? Yeah. That from this billionaire family comes more power and more power and more power well, yeah. as they continue to take more and take more. And so take that's more. just Richard DeVos. Then, then we have Dick DeVos. Dick DeVos has had a huge um, play on making Grand Rapids really the Grand Rapids that it is today. Um, he's the one that really uh, brought in all of the convention centers, built the convention okay. centers, built the new hotel. He's the kind of the one that took all the Amway money and kind of ran with it, if you will, invested and made money off and of it. And didn't he start, like, a, like he, some sort of, like, arts No, that's, that's his son. That's I'll his tell you, son. I'll go, we'll okay, go there gotcha. in a second. Okay. Um, he also ran for the governor of Michigan in 2006. Surprise. He sank about $35 million into his campaign oh and, and lost. Wow. So, it just tells you something right there. It really does. Yeah. And, un- unfortunately, he's kind of a good-looking older guy. Oh, come on. I'm just saying. Well, you're into that, you're, you're into that type. <laughs> no offense, Michael. <laughs> Who does not look like, look like Dick DeVos? So, uh, tell me about the son. So basically, this is Rick DeVos. So there, if you see that there's this weird naming convention in their family. So yeah, you can tell right Richard now. Richard DeVos. Then there's Dick DeVos, who's Richard DeVos II. The then there's Rick DeVos, who's Richard DeVos III. You know, why didn't they just all call themselves Dicks? I don't know. I, mean, I think that would make a lot more sense. What, what about the women? Um, so basically, it's Betsy DeVos and then Elizabeth DeVos. And so, so Betsy married into the family. Correct. And where does she come from? Um, I believe Auto Parts was mm. kind of her family's fortune. So she was so, rich, too. Yeah. So two fortunes joining together. Exactly. Making this giant pot of money from which no one in Michigan can escape their wretched claws. Right. And so they affected schools statewide in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Betsy put her little dirty fingers into everything because she thought she knew what she was doing. And in the end... She really didn't. Well, she started the whole um, vouchers. Right, of course. She has no degree in education. She has not studied pedagogy in any way, shape, or form. And that is a serious problem. They think that what they do in Grand Rapids and and in Michigan, and frankly across the country, is philanthropic. It's not. No. It is absolutely dangerous what they're doing. And there's a generation of children right now. Actually, there's, there's multiple generations right now during this administration that are going to be affected for their entire lives based on the terrible policies that she is putting forward. To talk about a couple of those policies right now, 
She has made it so the Department of Education is no longer investigating claims of discrimination by transgender students in public schools. But why, wait, why? That, that's a really great question. I, and honestly, we really don't know the answer. Where's Melania and her anti-bullying uh, campaign that we were Melania does not seem to be found right now. <laughs> but it is a ter- it's a terrifying time for transgender people because now that marriage is done and now that, thankfully, non-discrimination rights are starting to, to, to come forward for lesbian, gay, and yeah. bisexual people, trans people are now the part of our community, of our LGBT community, that are often left out because they are very misunderstood and because uh, gender identity is just a concept that a lot of people cannot wrap their heads around and it also until th- you know somebody that, that is transgender, yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously. And I think then that's what we need to do as a community is that, you know, they were always there for us in our fight. We then have to turn it around and be there, there for them in this fight. I'll tell everybody this. If you don't know much about the fight for LGBT equality... It started with transgender people. Right. It started outside of Stonewall. It started in many ways years before, too. But it started outside of the Stonewall Inn in New York City, a bar that was raided over and over and over again. And how did our movement begin? With drag queens and transgender people outside in the street throwing empty bottles of Miller Lite at cops. I think we need... Let's save a lot of this for Pride Month, because I think that that can... Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Well, then this is a good preview. Yeah, exactly. But, but that, 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 that's just one policy oh, I know. right now yeah, that's yeah, a serious yeah. problem. Another policy that, that I, I think you know about is, is the rollback of Title IX at, at mm-hmm. colleges and universities. Right. So now this is, this is de-escalating claims of rape and sexual assault on campuses at the very time when there is a crisis I know. of rape and sexual assault. I just don't get the thought process here. So, so in, in the 60 Minutes interview with, with Leslie Stahl... Uh, Leslie asked her about this, and 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 she said that one 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 instance of rape is one too many, and then she followed it up with one instance of false accusations is one too many, and when Leslie Stahl asked her, "Are you really equating rape and false accusations?" Betsy DeVos essentially said, "Yes," and that is come on, that's honestly terrifying. Yeah, how how a woman. A woman could look at her other fellow women and say, I'm going to put you on the same level as liars, because I, basically I think you're all liars, Yeah, is astounding and, mm-hmm. and terrifying. It's yeah. terrifying. Yep. It is an absolute crisis across the country. I, I just don't, like, this, this, I just feel like in the, ne- the next people that come along are just going to have to, like, rebuild what we already did. Like, sure. we keep just going back and forth, back and forth, because we can't just get a policy in place that is involved with information. Well, I, I, I do know this. Um, you know, I, I work in education and uh, in, my, in my professional life. And uh, when somebody that I know very well went to Washington, D.C. for a conference not long after Betsy DeVos was confirmed, um, this person went and talked to a number of key people at DOE. And these well, people... Wait, what's DOE? Department of Education. Oh, okay. Um, and these people who are lifelong policymakers in education who have given their lives to not making very much money, to getting very advanced degrees, to studying education um, really from early childhood all the way through through higher education, um, people who make policies and are trying to make positive change all the time that is responsive to data, these people are losing their jobs. Yeah. They're being booted out. Sure. They're, they're resigning of their own will. God bless them. Makes sense. Um, and it's 
scary. Because yeah. who are we going to be left with? I don't know. I don't know. You know, and, and the next election is, is, is far away. It is far away right now. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what's going to happen. We can wish and hope and pray for an impeachment if you want, but it's right. probably not going to happen. It's not going it, to like, I mean, are, come on. Are we seriously still talking about this? Exactly. Uh, after everything that has happened, he still has not been impeached. It's right. just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. The, the will is not there. And, and, and he knows now that he can do whatever he wants to do, and that is a problem. Yeah. And Betsy DeVos is, is so like Trump. Because she likes to lie. Well, she and she also to... doesn't think anything she's doing is wrong. Oh, not at all. She, she has this, like, altruistic, I am the one that makes these policies. She thinks and... it's philanthropy. Yeah. This is this is the ultimate, uh, for her, it's the ultimate expression of her philanthropy. Sure. That now she's here, she gave up corporate America, she's not making that money anymore, even though right. she's still filthy rich. And she's going to go and, and help the children for a while. Sure. You can't even go to an underperforming school, woman. Right. Like, you know what? The day that you want to come to Chicago, visit schools in the south and west sides without your giant entourage. Yeah. Not in your fucking pants suit. Your thousand dollar pants right. suit. The day that you want to come to Chicago and visit our schools in jeans and a t-shirt if you want and talk to our children and hear what they are going through... And hear about how they see people getting murdered every day in their, in their communities and still have to go to school. Hear about how schools are being closed and they have to cross gang lines to go to a different school and put their own lives at risk. When she does that stuff, then maybe I'll start listening. Right. Until then, she ain't got shit to say to me. Yeah. I, I'm right there with you. So I want to talk about... Um, see, they basically have four kids, but there's really only one of note that I really want to talk oh, about. Oh, that's right. That's right. So yes. um, Rick DeVos, who's Richard DeVos III. So th- so that that's the third one. So, Correct. So wait, go through the list again. It was... Uh, Richard DeVos, Dick DeVos, and Rick DeVos. What original names. I know. <laughs> they all have to have their own like identity, I guess. Oy, oy, oy. Um, but so he about... I think this was about... Gosh, it was when I moved here. So about 10 years ago started this um, co- this competition in Grand Rapids called Art Prize. I don't know if you've ever heard of okay, it. Okay, yeah, I have. Yeah. And I've heard it's controversial, too. So basically what it is is they invite artists from around the world to come to Grand Rapids and um, put up their art in some way, shape, or form. It can be outside. It can be a mural. It can be a painting in a gallery. Huh. And they take over all the businesses for the month of September, and people kind of can go through and just, like, wander around downtown Grand Rapids Go in and out of buildings, in and out of businesses, see different works of art, hmm. and they can vote. They basically get on their phone and they vote. Sure. And then there's also a panel of professional judges that vote and have a little bit of a heavier like uh, vote status. Okay. So their their votes count a little bit more. Sure. The winner of that gets hundred thousand dollars. Damn. It's the it's the biggest funded art competition in the world right now. Oh my god. Yeah. It's like bigger than like, like than like Art Basel. Right. It's tricky though. I just yes. crossed my arms. Like, yes, it. it brought in a lot of people from around, you know, Michigan and, you know, some... They own all the hotels. They own the convention center. They own everything. God, who does that remind me of? It reminds me of Donald Trump with his <laughs> hotel. For me, when it comes down to the legacy of the DeVos family, because, yes, they did really take, like, Grand Rapids downtown. I guess I never really knew that. I yeah. always thought it was, like, sort of, like, a, like the ideal, like, no. Michigan town. The downtown. The downtown was really a mecca for, like, homelessness. Um, okay. It just was dirty, run down, kind of like how Detroit is now. Did you know how Detroit's but, kind of having but, a renaissance? But, but, but not that bad. No, no, no. Not right? that bad. Okay. But it just, there was nothing there because Grand Rapids was built on the furniture industry. Uh, and the furniture industry has since kind of gone away or overseas or there's private companies. Sure. So there's just not as much. There's still a couple companies there. But um, 
it, it, that kind of went away, and then they kind of didn't know what to do with the right. town. And that's when the DeVosses came in and said, we're going to make this all about, um, what do you call it? When, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the word. It's like lifestyle center well, kind of thing? Um, hospitality, way? sorry. Hospitality. Oh, hospitality. Like, let's okay. make this all about hospitality. Oh. Let's, build, let's build hotels. Let's build a convention center. Let's build sure. an arena. Right. Let's do all this stuff, and then people will come. And it did work. However, then they pushed out all the homeless people, you know, and they beautified, basically, the downtown area. Which, I had a house in Grand Rapids, and um, I just sold it for a lot more, so I'm kind of happy about it. So well, I, mean, sure. I mean, I benefited from it. Well, but. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, and that's the thing. You know, there they're, they're are always benefits to, 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 to even the worst of things. Yeah, of course. Because that is the nature of humanity, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we're not, like, some altruistic people. Like, the nature of humanity is to go out and gain for yourself. Yeah. And, I, and I, what I mean by that is, like, that is, like, actually what you are, like, programmed to do inside of your body. Right. You have to survive... You have to get what you need to get ahead, um, just 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 to to eat, to, yeah. to to live, to do whatever. Um, but then, but, that, but that doesn't that doesn't that never justifies uh, the the malicious means that you use to get there, right? And and that's the thing is that 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 transformation of Grand Rapids could not have happened if it had not been for working off the backs of other people, correct? And working off the poor in other countries to create the products in the first place. Yes, you know, and that's that's a terrifying thing. I know it's it's. It's you got you, you get the good with the bad exactly, and sometimes, but sometimes, people don't see they don't see the bad, they only see the good. Of course, and not. so then, of course, this DeVos family is like held up to high esteem in the Grand Rapids area. Yeah, sure. So it's 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 an interesting. Well, and and like I said, you know, if 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 Betsy DeVos wanted to stay home in Michigan, you know, it wouldn't. You know, what I, I know for people in Michigan, it might not be the greatest thing. But if if she wants to go and do her thing there, that's up to her. Yeah, I just hate. That she is at the top level of education right now, making decisions that she should not be making, not being counseled by people that know what they're actually doing. Um, it's just, it's, it's really, um, you know, it's not even, it's not even horror anymore for me. It's actually like depressing. Yeah, it's sad. I think so. On that happy note. I know, right? I think, I think, I think we got <laughs> I think we might want to take a break. Yeah, and also drink it. cut right now. I'm on like three. Um, so next segment, we'll see where I am. Yeah. Um, I'm not super depressed yet. I think, I think it's going to be a little bit more fun in the <laughs> yeah. next segment. Well, <laughs> I think the next, the next movie is pretty depressing. Yeah, what, but... what, what are we talking about in the next? Oh, episode? we didn't even, we didn't even say. Yeah. Tell, tell uh, us about that. So right uh, in horror media this week, we will be talking about uh, the 1989 film, uh, Pet Cemetery. Yes. And then after that, we'll probably take, uh, we'll probably do a segment in between. Uh, and then for our main attraction, we're going to be doing A Quiet Place. Yes. So. Everyone's very excited about this. So let's take a break. Yeah. For Everyone sure. get a damn drink. We're going to. Um, and we're going to have a little chat next about some really, um, some good flicks. We'll see. See you in a minute. <laughs> Yeah. All right, look. Pay attention, everybody. Wadsworth, am I right in thinking there is nobody else in this house? No. Then there is someone else in this house. No, sorry. I said no meaning yes. No meaning yes? Look, I want a straight answer. Is there someone else or isn't there yes or no? Um, No. No, there is or no, there isn't? Yes. Please! 
Don't you think we should get that man out of the house before he finds out what's been going on here? Yeah. How can we throw him outside in this weather? If we let him stay in the house, he may get suspicious. If we throw him out, he may get even more suspicious. If I were him, I'd be suspicious already. Oh, who cares? That guy doesn't matter. Let him stay locked up for another half an hour. The police will be here by then, and there are two dead bodies in the study. Well, there is still some confusion as to whether or not there's anybody else in this house. I told you there isn't. There isn't any confusion or there isn't anybody else. Either. Or both. Just give me a clear answer. Certainly. <clears throat> what was the question? Is there anybody else in the house? No! Welcome back, folks. Um, we're still here. We're still queer in episode four. Glad you're still with us. It's time for a new segment, and it's called Questions and Answers. You ready for it? I'm ready for it. Okay, so Andrew... We put out a call uh, this week on Facebook asking folks to ask us some questions for once. Yeah, what do you want to know about us? Or what do you want to know that what we have an opinion on? And so some of our dearest and nearest fans gave us some really great ones. That's awesome. So um, do you want me to to read one off to you and you can just kind of start from there? Yeah. Does that sound good? And make sure you uh, name at least first name of the person. I'm going to do first name, last initial. Okay, yeah. And you know who you are. Okay, so we're going to start with, um, let's start with this one. This is going to be a fun one. So Matthew T, he got all the T, he is wondering, with all the remakes putting spins on the original film, what movie could be remade with an emphasis on the LGBT community that you think would benefit from the change? That's a good question. It's a really great question. So looking back at the, at the horror films that we know and yeah. that we love, mm-hmm. Um, which ones could be remade to be a little bit more LGBT-related or oriented? Could the characters be LGBT themselves? Um, what do you think? Um, so I kind of have, like, two different answers for this. Okay. Um, I think that it would be really fun and um, different and cool for our community if a movie like The Descent was just all lesbian characters. Okay, so tell us about The Descent. Tell everyone about that. Yeah, so The Descent is basically this movie from the early 2000s, or mid-2000s, I guess, where a group of women that are getting together to uh, basically mourn the death of this other woman's husband, they're going on a a, a trip, basically, um, to go cave diving. And it basically goes from there. There's creatures in the caves, blah, 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 blah. Sure. But it's just that they're all, like, straight friends. Wouldn't it be interesting if we actually depicted a friend group, none of them romantically together, right. but just a lesbian group of friends? Yes. I just think it'd be interesting. Yeah. I, I, so so what, what Matthew says there about, and by the way, Matthew, great name. It means gift of God in <laughs> Hebrew. I just want to point that out. I know that. All Matthew should. Um, but you, Matthew says that you think would benefit from the change at the end of his question. I think that's super important because still a fair majority of people look at especially gay men and they think, oh my God, that is the most promiscuous group of people in the entire world. Yeah. That they can't be friends with anybody. They just have to fuck everyone. Things can't ever be just a friendship. It has to always be about sex. I'm here to tell you as a homosexualist certified and approved... (laughs) That I don't have sex with all of my gay male friends. Right. I don't do that. Um, Andrew and I are a great example. And, and, and of course, you know, Michael, my best friend, and Andrew's husband. Like, we hang out all the time. Guess what we don't do? Have sex with each other. Well, so, me and my husband do. But well, you, you know what I, mean, what I, know what you well, mean. <laughs> I mean, well, I hope you guys do. But you know what I mean? Like, we don't have to have sex to be friends as gay people. 
And I really do think that that is still like a stigma that we have to fight against all the time. So I think that would be a very positive change. And then I think another one that would just be like really fun because sure. I kind of miss this style of movie is like um, single white female, but with like all gay characters. Yeah. Like, you know oh, that I mean? would be really good. Yes. I'm all about that. Except yeah. I want to call it like single Hispanic male or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> so it's, so it's looking. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Okay. Perfect. Right. Okay. Next question. Which one do you want to go to? Did you want to, do you want to have an answer? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. I do. So going back to our very first episode, um, we chatted about this just a little bit earlier. Um, the Ritual, uh, recently on Netflix. It came out at the end of, of last year um, and early this year. A really great movie. We all really liked it. It was really mm-hmm. cool. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's sort of like The Descent in that it's a, it's a group of men, um, all straight, who after a friend's death are going on this like kind of like cross-country hiking tour. And they're in Sweden, and they're having a great time until they, you know, run into a historical mythical creature that starts to kill them all. Yeah. Which happens on on hikes. You know, these things happen. Um, I think it's another case, just like The Descent, where there's no reason why, hey, all those people couldn't be gay. Yeah. There's no reason at all. And and I I think it it actually could have really worked in this case. Yeah, for sure. A lot. And, um... It wouldn't yeah. have changed any of the dynamics. It wouldn't have changed any of the dynamics. Yeah. In fact, I think it would have even brought the dynamics closer. Yeah. Because I think that with gay men too in our friendships, we um, we value them so so highly because we come from places, especially in our generations, where we've had to deal with a lot of oppression and a lot of um, a lot of being forced out of communities. So when we find a community that really accepts us and where we feel like we're we're supposed to be there. Um, we we tend to you know hold pretty tightly to that yeah for because sure because we really value it so I think that that the ritual could have worked with all gay men yeah I and, like it and a gay monster sure why, why not, not? <laughs> um, all right so Vanessa M wants to know what LGBTQ director or writer would you like to see do a horror movie who has not done all done one already okay so my answer here uh, is definitely one of my favorite gay writers and that is Tony Kushner. Uh, if you don't know Tony Kushner, Tony Kushner is primarily a playwright. Um, his biggest work by far is Angels in America, parts one and two. Um, it's actually on Broadway right now in a new production. Um, Angels in America is a masterpiece. came out in the 90s. It's all about AIDS, and it's all about um, America, mm-hmm. and it's all about um, America coming to grips, not just with AIDS, but with these people called gay people, yeah, and how and how we become citizens. So it's, it's if you've never read it before or seen it, you really should. It's it's an American masterpiece. Tony Kushner has never written anything horror. Um, I think that Tony is an exceptional writer and an amazing person. Um, I think he's a prophet in a lot of ways, and I think if he did put his hand to writing some sort of horror movie, it would definitely be with gay people. You could have, you can count that right away. But it would be absolutely incredible. So, um, and, and not only that, I should also say, if, if, if you've seen the movies Lincoln or Munich, Tony Kushner wrote those too. So he's not just plays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He also writes films. If he wrote a horror film, I would go see it right away. I'd pay double. Yeah, cool. Triple. Tri- triple. You'll, I, I'd ask you to help me, though. Uh, okay. Yeah, sure. You're there. I'm there. Thank you. Um, I think um, this is kind of a hard one for me. I I don't really identify authors as like queer or not queer Mm -hmm. or directors as queer or not queer. Um, They're just kind of their profession. Um, But if I had to pick one, I think reaching back, Dustin Lance Black, I mean, he wrote wrote Milk. 
it'd be interesting to see what he would do coming from a mind like that. Sure. Because um, I think it would be really LGBT focused. Yeah. Um, it would just be interesting to me. See yeah, what he would and, do. and folks, if you don't know Milk, that is about the, the life of Harvey Milk, yeah. uh, who was the first elected openly gay official um, in the United States. Uh, but, and it's, it's a great movie. But one gay director that I wish would still do more is Clive Barker. Oh, I've kind of been missing Clive him. Barker. Yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, Hellraiser still, that that skinless man still oh, it's terrifying. grosses me out. It is absolutely terrifying. And did you ever read Weave World from him? No. The book? If you haven't read Weave World, you should. It is one crazy-ass motherfucker. It's really good. Good. All right. Next question. Uh, oh, here's a good one. So, um, Jeremy K. writes, What are your feelings on the Babadook, and to a lesser extent, Pennywise, being represented as LGBT icons? Um, I mean, I, sure. We can take it. I yeah. don't care. Like, it's not a, it's not a huge deal to me. I, I just think it, it's funny how it came to be that Netflix <laughs> ac- accidentally categorized the Babadook as a yeah. as a gay movie. Sure. Um, and that's kind of how it all got started. But, right. I mean, it's a funny joke. I laugh at it all the time. Yeah. So, like, sure. I, don't, I guess I don't really care either way. I guess with, with Pennywise, though, I may be a little leery about it. Sure. Only because Pennywise is a monster that, that goes after children. Right. So that makes me nervous as a gay person. From the because, pedophilia angle. Yeah let's, yeah. let's talk about some more stigmas that we've had to face in our lives. There is still a stigma out there that if there's a pedophile, a, a, the pedophile going after, obviously, children, and, he, and he's a male then that person is gay. Yeah. No, that's actually not true. Right. It means that they're a pedophile, which is an entirely different thing than being a gay person. Once again, as an approved and accredited homosexual, I can tell you <laughs> that is the case. I don't like kids in any way. Right. Um, so I mean, that, that, that's just like, it's, it's another thing that sort of, I don't think it's helpful for us to have Pennywise connected I don't think it's really even funny. Yeah. Um, because I don't really know where that one came from. I, I don't I don't get it either. Like, I mean, the Babadook thing, I get because it was a mistake by Netflix. Yeah. Like you said, like, the, I get it. And it's actually kind of funny. Um, but Pennywise... I just, like, I just like getting Baba Shook. Yeah. Who is <laughs> Baba Shook these days? We live in Trump's America, for God's sake. So, right. anyways, good question, Jeremy. Thank yeah. you very much. Uh, okay, so, oh, can you go back up? Yeah, sure. Oh. Uh, Ralph P. Uh, wants to know, which horror movie character not yet recognized in the LGBT icon deserves to be recognized as such. So basically, a um, a character like Mark Patton, so uh, basically from Nightmare 2, like he is hugely known now as kind of like the scream queen. You know what I mean? So I guess that's the kind of where we would base that kind of icon, if you want to put it that way. Well, who else from uh, Friday the 13th would be in that same category, do you think? Well, I don't think there's any out gay characters in any of the Fridays or Nightmares. Yeah. Um, but there are, like, things that happen in them that sure. imply. And then there are also actors that came out after, mm. like Kevin Spiritus in uh, Friday 7. Kevin but, Spiritus. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So they, like, they came out after doing these movies. Yeah. Um, much like Mark Patton. Mark Patton Right, came out. sure. But they don't get recognized as much, I think, as Mark Patton has... He's really taken that claim to fame and just, like, ran with it. Like, well, he goes to cons and all that stuff. Well, I think that's good, right? Yeah, I sure. I think that's, that, that's representation. Yeah. I, have, I have no problem with it. I think that's it. really important. Um, I think, um, <clears throat> I was thinking back, and it was really hard for me to find gay characters that I think deserve this status of an icon. Interesting. Um, but if I'm going to, because there's a, there's such a limited supply yeah. of gay characters in right. horror movies. Um, I don't know if you saw the, the gay horror musical, or not gay, sorry, the horror musical stage fright from a couple years yes. ago. Yes, yeah. So there's a character in that that comes out in the process, 
um, named Sam. And I, th- I like him a lot. I like his story arc. Right. Uh, and nobody really recognizes, either, A, that movie, because that movie's awesome in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, sure. And B, really his character in general, because he has some really funny songs. Yeah. And like, I, I don't know. I, just, I think that would be probably my answer. Yeah, that's good, I think. We've got one more question. And this is from David B. And this is, this is a pretty good question here. So, uh, how funny is a movie allowed to be before it stops being truly horror? So, for example, David says, The Santa Clarita Diet on Netflix. It's hilarious. It's writers are geniuses. However, I have a hard time considering it to be a true part of, of the horror genre. Um, and he even says that with, like, Freddy Krueger, obviously he had some funny lines and in all of those films. Uh, there are laugh lines in Friday the 13th. Not a problem. But is it about the writer's intent? Is it the actual amount of comedy? Is it the target audience? What's the line between horror and comedy? Great question. Yeah, no, it's good. And, you know, I've heard I've heard a lot of these arguments before, um, and I've heard a lot of the arguments about, like, is it horror? Like, that kind of an argument. Sure. Um, and to be completely honest, like, in my personal opinion, if you think it's horror, then you think it's horror, and that's where I'm going to let it go, because we are already segmented as people, and I don't want to over-segment just this small little community of horror sure. people yeah. into more segments, because guess what? Just like what you like. No, of course. Like, yeah. I think that's kind of where I go. Um, I do think that there is an element of the horror comedy, um, and I think that's where we put it. Horror comedy. What's an example of a horror comedy? So, you? like, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Okay. Um, there was that Netflix one, The Babysitter, that yeah, had a lot yeah, of yeah. comedy in it. Like, I don't know. If you think it's horror, then you think it's horror. No, no, fair know. enough. Fair and enough. if it's got comedy in it, then... Sure. I mean, I, I mean, I guess I don't really care. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess, I guess I, I, I agree with you, and I, I don't really, I don't really care as much either. But I mean, if we're talking about the subject, for me, I think it's, it is about the writer's intent. So, did the writer set out to, um, to create a piece in which they want to induce fear in the audience? Members? So yours is all about like fe- the fear part. My, yeah, mine's, okay. a, mine's a little bit more about about fear. But I, I certainly understand too. Like you know, it's if, if you like it, you like it, and if if you. It's because it's not, for me, it's not just about, like, whether you like it. It's also about, like, if you think it's a horror film. Yeah. Or a horror TV show or whatever. But it is. Because I do think that Santa Clarita, it, it, although it is, like, very, very, I, I, I especially really like the second season. Sure. It, it really hit its stride and it's really funny. But I do think that there's enough horrific stuff. I mean, she fucking eats people. They, she eats people. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I think mean, there's enough horror in there to classify it as a horror what comedy. Are we, what are we doing? She's eating people. Right. So, I mean, yeah. So... Yeah, I think that's kind of where I, I lie on that one. And I think that's all the questions we got this time. It's all the questions. 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 I still got to get used to that name. Oh, I like um, it. I think it's really good. Um, but we really appreciate everyone participating. Um, we put this out earlier this week, and we got way more than I ever thought we would. So thanks and, a lot. And also, too, like it was, this was all on Facebook. Like you, I can't tell you en- enough how much joy we get when you interact with us on Facebook. Yeah, for sure. Like, we seriously, we get on Gchat and talk to each other, and we're like, oh my god, there's people talking to us! Because it's so much fun. Yeah. So if you're having as much fun as we are doing this, keep it up, because we promise that we are too. Um, And we're going to have even more crazy, silly segments in future episodes, so stick with us. All right, coming up next, we're going to be reviewing the 1989 film, Pet Cemetery. Woo! What's the burden of the treat? Well, sometimes death is better. I'm really 
Talk about Pet Cemetery. Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. By Stephen King? Yeah, Stephen oh King. Oh, my goodness. I love when people are like, which one? And I'm like, there's only one, you guys. I know, girl. So my, my cousin, my sweet cousin Mark out in Hawaii, Mark, if you're listening, hello. He, 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 he asked a question earlier this week when we, when we were asking for questions. And he said, are you talking about Stephen King's Pet Cemetery? And I was like... I'm what not other a, pet cemetery do you know of? I am not aware of the other one. No, seriously, <laughs> my God. Anyways, uh, part right. of the segment. This is going to be fun. Yeah, yeah. No, I. Spoiler alert, I really like this movie. <laughs> well, and, so. and, and the other thing, too, spoiler alert, just a reminder, we always give spoilers in our episodes. Yeah. So if you haven't seen Pet Cemetery, this is the time to click it off and go watch it. Because if you haven't watched it, you probably shouldn't listen to our podcast in the first place, really. Um, it's a great film, it's one of my favorite horror movies. And you need to see it. And it's it. like 30 years old. It's so. like 30 years old, for God's sake. I mean, almost. Almost 30 years old. Jesus. So, Pet Cemetery. So, Pet Cemetery. So, basically, the main story around Pet Cemetery is all about the Creed family. And um, Louis Creed, who's the father... Um, let me pull up my little list here. Of Gage. Um, who is played by Dale Midkiff. Um, basically, they are uprooting their family from Chicago to move to Maine. Uh, that, so that he can be a doctor at the local university. Mm -hmm. So they rent this house. Um, this house is on a very busy street because... Or not a busy street, excuse me. A street where a lot of big trucks go by because there's a manufacturing company. Sort of a big country road. Yeah, yeah. But there's like a big manufacturing company down right. the street. And so they just plow through this this area. Exactly. Um, they they show up. The, it's um, the daughter who's about, I would say, like five years old-ish. Yes. Um, the son who is... Basically, a toddler. A toddler, and then also uh, about two years yeah. old. And say. then the wife, who yep. is played by uh, Denise Crosby. Um, the son is played by Miko Hughes, and the daughter Ellie is played by Blaze Berdahl. But she's also a twin. So. What a name, Blaze Berdahl. But it does not list the other twin. So that's that's a fun fact about this. Um, yeah. The two, the daughter was played by twins, Ugh. and the actual director are. I don't know if it was a director, but somebody fought for um, the son to be played by twins as well because then they could get away with um, working. The Which does happen often in yeah, films. Yeah, but really somebody does. really fought for Miko Hughes um, to really be that character just right. because of how good of a little baby he was, basically. Yeah, totally. We start off with kind of the, they meet the neighbor who lives across the street, Judd. Judd. Who is played by Fred on Nick at Night when I was a kid. Oh, sure. <laughs> um, but he was a, uh, the main monster in, yeah. the, in that show. Main monster. Um, so, uh, and they notice that there's a path leading into the woods. The little girl's like, well, where does that path lead? And then we kind of spend the first part of this movie just getting to know the dynamics of the family. So, you know, the baby. And I'll, I'll tell you this, when Denise Crosby first showed, thought they were going to play her up as like the bitch. 
Sure. But then all of a sudden she's like, I love the house. And she is, you it know, really and, changes it around yeah. like, immediately. Yeah. It's, it's sort of brilliant direction there. Too, yeah. On his first day of work. Yeah. Where basically a biker, biker or jogger, in the book it's a biker, but um, he gets hit by a, a truck uh, on campus and gets pulled into um, the hospital where Lewis Creed worked. He did. So he's, he's dead on site. And I know we're talking about the, the film right now and, and the whole synopsis, but it is like an 80s film. So when this when this kid gets hit on the side of the road, all of a sudden there are, they found this like a random like canvas tarp. Nowadays people on. be like taking pictures. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> right? So they're pulling them in like, oh, get him to get him to Dr. Creed as soon as as soon as you can. It was just it's this you know, yeah. it, it's it's a little morning. Um, but it's it's still it's still a great scene because it leads to so many things. Yeah. And then there's a moment where he does he talk to him? Dr. Creed closes his eyes and then and then the, the patient suddenly, you know, opens up and like grabs him and kind of spits in his face. I have to cough. I'm sorry, folks. It's allergy season. Um, it is what it is. And then um, from there, from there we... With the family. We go, um, Judd finally takes them down the path. By design. Um, and we are, um, the children of all this town and of this road have all lost pets to either old age or the road, you know, a, a truck hitting them or whatever. So, like, really sweet. And then, like, oh, my God, this is so sad. <laughs> like, you know, because they read some of, like, during the credits, they read some of the epitaphs. Oh, sure. Um, and it's, like, sad. But at the same time, they did this. And, of course, it's, like, spelled wrong because the kids wrote the sign. Yeah. And all that stuff. Um, and... I forget who asks, but somebody asks, like, what, what's beyond there? Yeah. And pretty much Judd's like, you don't want to go beyond there. Like, Oh, don't go up there. Like, we kind of leave it from there. Um, the kids go to their grandparents in Chicago along with the mom, leave the dad behind. Um, and this is where we kind of establish that Ellie is a little bit of a psychic. Yeah. Like, she has moments where she just has bad feelings. Exactly. Or dreams. Yeah. And so she, she asked her dad, like, please take care of Church. Church is the cat. I think we've... Just a fucking cat. Yeah. I well, get it. She's at a she's at an age where she hasn't really learned about death. Yeah. They go on this trip. Um, Ellie says, please watch the cat. Unfortunately, the cat gets hit. Which I'm like, can you just, like, lock the doors and lock the windows when you leave? Like, don't... It's really not that hard. I know. Like, it's an... In, it's a, Is it an indoor cat or an outdoor cat? That's what yeah, I want to you know. know. You know what? Exactly. Because for me, growing up... Right. Well, and that's how it was, too. I, I grew up on a farm, and we had barn cats, but sure. they were barn cats. They're barn... Like, like that's, yeah. that's where they live. Yeah. Like, actually in the barn. Yeah. A car gets hit by a car. Um, Judd pretty much says to uh, Lewis, you know, we can do something about this if you want. And, um... He's interested. He's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. This And this is where I get kind of angry at Judd because I'm like, can you just tell him what you're going to do before you do it? Sure. Because then he might have an actual like decision to make, yeah. not just like blindly follow you up to the oh, pet exactly. cemetery. Right, right, right. Sure. <laughs> um, so they go up to the pet cemetery. They go beyond the brush. They go into the woods and they go up to this ancient Indian burial ground. And I will say... I think that that place up there is so cool looking. Like, it's, overlooking the lake. and like, Especially, like, for 89. I think it was really well done. Yeah, this movie looks great. I mean, it, it, and like, we, were, we were just talking before we started to, to record this episode uh, about how good the Blu-ray looks. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, and and it's, it really is, it, it's, it's really incredible cinematography mm-hmm. for, you know, sort of a low-budget 80s oh. Horrible. Yeah, and we should mention that this was directed by a woman, Mary Lambert. Absolutely. Um, and she never really did any movies after this. Or before. Yeah, she was kind of like a more um, music video director. When music videos were huge. Yeah. So, you know, she came from somewhere completely different. Um, and I think that really lent to the way that this film looks and feels. Do you know who was originally supposed to direct this? 
George Romero. Yes. Which because is incredibly of, interesting. Well, it's it kind of makes sense because they they sense. did creep show together. Yeah. So it makes sense. But, but imagine but, imagine how much different the film would have been if this had been a Romero. I think film. it would have been a lot more like grindhousey looking. Oh, big time. You know, I, I, so. I think I think it would have been a little more um I don't know. It wouldn't been it wouldn't have been quite as delicate or polished. Or polished. Yeah. As it was, uh, as it was under under, under Mary Lambert's direction. Yeah. So I'm I'm glad that history worked the way that it did. Yeah, for sure. Um, because I, this, is, this me, is how it should be. I, I love George Romero too. Yeah, he just course. has a different it's, style. It's, it's, it's just yeah. different. Yeah. I, I don't think it would have worked for this film that is about at its very core a family. Right. And in this episode, we're talking about families. Yeah. So we're back to it again. Yeah. So anyway. They go up to the pe- the ancient burial grounds. Um, on their way up there, they hear some noises in the woods, and uh, Judd pretty much just tells them like, "Don't, don't think about it. Like, don't." Don't listen to those voices. Um, and they go and they bury the cat. The cat shows up the next day, alive. Well, kind of. Kind of alive. Yeah, it stinks. It had to basically dig itself out of its own grave. It has some blood on its neck. Where it was, and the old girl is pissed. Yeah. Off, pissed off like not happy to like have woken up that morning it's like me on a monday with a hangover yeah going it kind to work. of it kind of makes me like i really hope that there were no like felines like hurt in this movie because how did they get them to hiss so much i mean i you know what cats and dogs can be trained in ways yeah, that are sure. really you know intense and yeah. so i think that they i mean I, I think you know there were there were animal welfare laws then too yeah, in the film yeah. so we know that, that there, there were no cats actually harmed in the filming of this movie. Um, but whoever trained these cats, they were really good. Yeah. Because there was more than just one cat, wasn't there? Up to seven, they said. There were seven cats. All trained for different purposes. Exactly. They were used to film, uh, they were used to film church. It's, it's absolutely, it's kind of incredible. Yeah, that, like, for sure. That level of detail. Like was there was of. one cat just trained to climb a tree and hiss. Like that's all it had to do. That's like a lot of my ex-boyfriends <laughs> when I really think about it. Um, so then um, the cat comes back. The, um, the family comes back from Chicago. Um, Ellie's pretty much like, can we, can you give cats a bath? Because like church stinks real bad. Um, and they just basically are like, you know, it's, it's fine. Yeah. Like it's, they pay, kind of don't even pay <clears throat> attention to the cat at that sure. point. Um, there's a couple of funny little moments where a Lewis Creed, it comes into her bedroom or something and the cat just hisses at him and he's like, Shut up, you stupid cat. You son of a bitch. <laughs> Get out of here. Um, and so then we go on for a little bit longer, and they're having a family picnic along with Judd um, in the field next to their house. Um, flying, kites flying kites on a beautiful day. And um, there's a moment where Gage... Gage is in yellow, by the way, with a red kite. Reminds us of it. Oh, I didn't even put that of together. A child in yellow with a red balloon. Um, so they are basically flying the kite. Um, Lewis lets... Gage kind of do it on his own, and being the infant that he is, uh-oh, he, like, lets it go. Um, in that moment, Ellie kind of yells out to her dad, um... You let it go, you dumb shit! And so everyone's like, Ellie, oh, like, oh, where, oh, are you, where are you gonna, where are you getting this language? And Judd laughs about it, of course. Yeah, and so they're kind of distracted in that moment, and the baby basically walks into the road right as a truck is barreling down the road, not paying a attention. semi-truck. Um, listening to, like, punk music. Of to, course, it has to be, like... To the Ramones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it has to be, like, of course, like, that that thrown in there. Right. Um, and he does not see the baby in time and basically nails him. Nails him. And it's... And it is... You know, it's like... 
the, uh, folks think about uh, horror films um, not always necessarily being like emotionally serious. Yeah, like it really is like like an emotionally serious moment. Like, oh yeah, I mean, you see uh, you see Lewis running toward him. You know he's not gonna he's not gonna get this kid. Yeah, and you really do think like, oh my god, what if that was me chasing after my child? Right, looking at a huge semi truck. That's not going to stop. It's not going to stop because it, it can't at that yeah. point. Like, you, you're you seeing your child's death and knowing there is nothing you can do, you can do about it. Not yeah, one single terrifying. thing. Yeah. It's, it's it's terrible. Um, and that and that is what really sets the tone for the entire film. The rest of the movie. Yeah. After that, it's all about this. Yeah. And um, two things I'll say about this part. Yeah. Um, first of all, did you know that it was filmed with a mirror? That's how they got the effect. That's amazing. So that's kind of a cool little thing. Yeah. Um, because it really does look like that little kid. He's like moving oh. like a little adult yeah. up until like the last moment. And you even kind of hear it a little bit. Yeah. Like the sound effects were really well done there because yeah. you could hear it just a little bit of, oh, it's hard to even say, but a child's body being hit by a semi-truck. Yeah. Oy, oy, oy. And then the other part is, I don't know, have you have you read this book? I have not read it, but I re- it's surprising that I haven't because I really do want to read yeah. it. Yeah, so I've read pretty much all of these early Stephen King books. Yeah. Um, and there's a, a part right after this happens mm-hmm. that's really strange, and I'm glad they left it out of the movie because well, it would not make sense. Tell us about that. So basically there's a whole chapter devoted to um, Lewis got him out of the way. And they do a whole chapter where it talks about what he would have grown up to be and like his life beyond that point. And it's really strange. And then the very, and then the start of the next chapter, they go, and that didn't happen. Oh my God. That's, that's almost cruel. I know. I'm glad that they did not. And I think the ode that they did to that is they showed like all the family photos. Yeah. Like that was kind of like the ode to that. But, but, but having, having a whole section of the film devoted to that, it would have just been too much. I know. Well, Stephen King, it, he overwrites. Yes. Like, he just, he, in so much detail, you know, that he, he just had to do well, it. Well, he has so many words in yeah. him, he just, and we'll, he just can't help I want to talk a little bit about the book at the end, yeah, but sure. let's uh, stay on the synopsis yeah, real quick. Yeah, sure. So this obviously sets up to where um, her uh, family is upset with him because they think it's his fault. So there's this whole part of the funeral where the dad and the uh, grandpa get in a fight, and they knock over the casket and the little baby hand. You see it is terrifying and horrible. It's a dead baby's hand. Yeah. Come on. It's awful. So then they send, they basically send the mother and daughter away with the grandparents to go grieve in Chicago where you're not reminded daily of this horrific thing that happened. Um, the dad has to stay back just because of his job and doesn't, and he has some ulterior motives. He does. Um, he goes over to Judd's house and Judd's like, I know what you're thinking. And he's like, don't do it. And he and basically he basically tells the story of someone that did bury a body up there. And that person came back basically like a zombie. Yeah. And um, this is one of my only sticking points with the movie is that these flashbacks have not aged very well. Not at all. Like they're, the, they're the characters. Bad. Yeah, they're pretty bad. It looks like... Like, do you ever watch those like ghosty shows? Oh yeah, sure. And they do like the reenactments. Oh, like it's like yeah. it's like that level. Sure. Um, that's my only gripe. But anyway, so he tells him the story, and Judd's like, "Don't do it," and he doesn't listen. Of course, he goes to the graveyard, digs up little baby Gage, and like I can't even believe that they some of the things that they put in this movie to be that daring. I was really surprised because yeah. they just like show him 
take I was expecting him to take the coffin. Yeah. Not open up the coffin and take the take body. the body out and like hug it. Like I mean, imagine pulling a child's body out of out of a fucking coffin yeah. on the ground. That that's, yeah. that's really terrifying. Yikes. Um, so he takes him up to the pets, or he takes him up to the ancient burial grounds and buries him. Yeah. And what do you think is going to happen? Old Gage comes back with a vengeance, everybody. He's not happy to be awake. Yeah. He has not had his enfamil. Um, <laughs> he is ready for, for like some like pee puree. Yeah. Um, or your blood. Yeah. You know, whatever, whatever you want to Whatever comes him, first, yeah. Um, or like a, like a bloody steak. Um, and then mayhem just... Sort well, he sneaks loose. into the he sneaks into his doctor bag and gets the scalpel. Right, and um, basically goes over to Judd, Judd's house, terrorizes Judd for a little bit before one of the hardest scenes to watch. By this far. haunted me as a child. It's awful. I, I don't think I could put my ankles down under my like Ugh. by my bed for years. Ugh. But he basically cuts his uh, Achilles heel, oh, and so God. he falls on the ground. Then he slices his like corners of his mouth open. Then he just eats his throat. I mean, it's it's it, and that's the thing. I mean, it's, and it is it's, it's the a actor. Baby. It's, it's the it's actor a, doing it. Yeah, it is a baby on screen eating an old man's throat. It is graphic. It is very graphic. It's hard, it is hard to watch, and it is genuinely terrifying. Yeah, without a doubt, genuinely terrifying. Um, so then we cut to um the mom's journey. Um, and Ellie is in hysterics because once again, she's kind of got this weird psychic thing going on where she thinks that the dad and Judd are in trouble. Right. Something to do with Gage. Yeah, she's right. And um, the mom hurries back. Of course, she's like encountering all these stumbles along the way. Um, but they kind of have this, I guess <laughs> it's kind of a guardian angel, but I don't know because... By the time that she gets there, that's what leads to what happens exactly. to her. So um, this guy who he say or he let die at the beginning, Victor the jogger, Pascal, the Pascal, jogger at, at the at the university, is kind of like this good angel. Yeah, where he's like, he's trying to warn him, like, don't right. do these things. You're going to be tempted to do them. Don't do them. It now shifts to he's kind of an omnipresence with. Uh, the mother character, yeah, sure. basically helping her get back to Maine because first, like the flight is full, then she can't find a car. Yeah. But at every turn, there's like a moment where he kind of like, whispers helps. in her ear yeah. and tells her like what to say or what to ask for. Exactly Th- those things. Yeah. So she eventually, after a series of unfortunate events, gets back to because she like goes in the ditch. Like she has to get, uh, she has to get in a semi truck to get home. It was a lot. Yeah, <laughs> and imagine her getting into a semi truck to get home. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. Um. So she goes back and she's looking for Lewis, but then she hears like ha 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 ha, like the little baby laugh. Yeah, and like honestly, whoever designed the sound for all of that, like Jesus Christ, it yeah. is terrifying. So she goes into the house. Um. Oh, uh, well, we can get to that. Um. She goes into the house um, and is hearing the little baby gauge sounds. She's trying to find him. And she goes into one room and it's her sister on the bed. And she has some history with the sister. The sister parts are very disturbing. Which did you know was played by a man? I did know okay. that. Yeah. Um, so basically um, her sister when she was younger had spinal meningitis. Yes. Is that right? Um, that deformed her and basically was bedridden for mo- yeah. a majority of her childhood. And she had to go in there and sometimes feed her. Um, and she, I think she has one line in the movie where she, she, basically, where she basically says, I just wanted her to die. And, you know, that, and then eventually she does die, but it's like 
she's traumatized by this. And so there is this, I can only say like witchy woman in the bedroom. And she is just like, I forget what she says, but it's so creepy. And she's like, he, yeah, she's like, basically I've I've come back for you. I'm going to kick your ass. Yeah. And like, and then you know when when um, when she falls down because and then she covers her her face because it's terrifying. Yeah, she opens back up again, and who is it? Gage. It's Gage. And did you notice that he was dressed like the painting in the parents' house? Oh my god! Which is was the terrifying painting. And by then the way, he, and then he keeps saying, "I brought you something, mommy." Yeah. Uh, little does she know, it's the scalpel. Exactly. Um, and then I think it's off screen that you kind of hear her. You hear scream. her scream. It's yeah. very Greek. How yeah. it happens. Um, and then so of Lewis... Course, she's dead. Yeah. And then Lewis wakes up, uh, and he is basically like, I gotta do something Falls out this. the bed, yeah. hits his head on the table. Which is kind of comical. It's, it's actually very comical. If you uh, watch it, you're like, really? Uh, he basically decides, I gotta do something about this cat. I gotta do something about the Because he sees that Gage took the scalpel. And he's yeah. like, oh shit, we're in trouble. So he basically takes the... Um, my ser- son stole my scalpel and he's dead. <laughs> but he's a zombie. We're uh, in trouble. He basically... He ba- <laughs> Sorry, that was one of our friends that just There's a up. buzzer that happens here sometimes, folks. What the buzzer means is that we're doing well and that you have won a prize. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll tell you what the prize is at the end of the episode. But until then, we're going to keep talking about Pet Cemetery. Yes, so where we're at is he basically puts, I, I don't know what kind of chemical he puts in it, it's basically like a euthanization exactly, right. into, oh, because he's a vet, obviously. Yeah. Um, uh, and he finds the cat, he offers the cat a steak, and I feel so bad for this, I know the cat's no. undead, but I feel so bad because he kind of just like stumbles and just like face plants. No. Totally. So the cat's now re-dead. Yeah. Um, and then we go to uh, basically him going up, finding his wife dead. And then being, like, devastated, obviously, that his wife is dead now. Right. Um, and then he sees Gage, and he's like, oh, I don't want to have to do this. i got to do it to my son. My... I basically have to watch my son I die I love my again. son. I love my dead gay son. <laughs> Except he's not gay. Had his reference. Sorry. Here we are. <laughs> um, and he basically says, like, come here, Gage. Like, I, I want to give you something. And he, had, he gives him the drug. Gage kind of walks away, and I think we have differing opinions on this. Okay, so can we talk about this first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so, um, you know, I love this movie. It's one of my favorite horror films of all time. I've already established that, and I love so much about it. One of the parts that I hate about it is after Lewis gives Gage the shot in his neck, which is this really sad scene. Yeah. And he, and like, you, you look at the father and he's crying and he's devastated that he had, he had to like kill his son again. Right. And, and Gage looks like he's about to die because he is. And then Gage walks around the corner and goes, no fair. And then he walks down the hall and keeps saying, no fair, no fair. And that is the part of the episode, of, of the episode, of the, of, of the movie, where I'm just like, Oh, did we have to say that? See, and I really like that. I think it's oh. like such like a kid. It's like such a kid thing to say. I get it, I and do. I, I just like it. You know, you know what'll be interesting in the remake that is coming up. It will be interesting to see how they play that scene. Yeah, I'm, that will be interesting. I, I don't know how on board I am. We have this, more stuff to talk about yeah, that, of yeah, course. Yeah. So basically, to end out the film, Lewis, I don't know if you're lo- you're learning your lessons yeah, ain't here. Learned yet. <laughs> He Lewis. takes his wife up to the ancient burial ground now. And like, honestly, like, did you think you were going to have a different result? Right. Like, the cat clawed you and was a bitch to you, like, for days. 
your dead son, your dead gay son came back and like literally killed the old man and tried to kill you. And killed your wife. And killed your wife. Do you think that your wife is going to come back and be like, honey, I, I made you a chicken dinner? Yeah, I mean, right. Like, I mean, come on. Like, who are you? And she, he goes back to the house and just kind of sits down and waits for her. And she comes back all right. And this makeup is so gross to me with like her eyeball. Ugh. And like, he's, she's like, come to me, Louis. And so she basically gives him a hug. Is, is it a suicide moment, do you think? Maybe. Like, he has nothing else to live I mean, for, yeah, so he might so, as well. So this is, this, is how, this is how, like, well, I'll, I'll do suicide by dead wife reincarnation. It's an interesting way to go out, but, you know. Yeah, you know. it is. <laughs> but, I mean, it works. It's, it, you know what it is? It's certainly effective. Yeah, but now there's a zombie woman out there that is going to go now on her own rampage. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. Like, you just created another monster. I don't think that he really cared. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't I think know. That he cared. It just pisses me off. So, Pet <laughs> Cemetery is a great movie. I think it deals with a lot of different themes. I think it deals with lies. I think it yeah. deals with guilt and grief. I think it deals with fables and with legends. I think it deals with safety and danger and children. And I think at its core, it deals once again with family. Mm -hmm. We were talking about from the very first segment, connecting back to Betsy DeVos and her insane family in Michigan and now at the upper echelons of our country. So I think that this movie still really holds up. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it Um, does. There's so much to talk about. There's so much to think about. And even though when I watch it still, even now at 35 years old, I watch it and I'm still afraid about many different scenes. I'm, I'm still, um, I'm still saddened. Oh yeah, it's, it's a it's devastating. Still, movie. It's still a sad yeah. horror film to watch. It's devastating. It's awful. Um, not an awful movie, but just well, what happens. To no, this it's absolutely awful. Um, a couple things that they uh, just because I have read the book, I think the one big thing that they leave out of this. And it maybe helps explain why these people the way they are the way they are. Sure. Is um, they leave out the Native American legend of the Wendigo. Ah, uh, yes. So yes. that's kind of like... Not the Winnebago. Not the Winnebago. The Wendigo. Um, that's kind of like what is in the forest when they hear those noises when they're going up that's there at first. That's what it is. Is the Wendigo. And it's an ancient Native American tale. And it basically gets inside of you and turns you into a, a murderous being wow. and that's and that and they never really explain why they're evil now you know it it kind of just leaves it up to the imagination and i think in the book they do a little bit better of a job of giving you a little more like to chew on with that so you've read the book yeah and you've yeah. read a lot of stephen king's books yeah and and i know that you know this films very well too i want to read this quote from the film and from the book and i want you to tell me how you feel about it what you think about it and it's this the soil of a man's heart is stonier, Lewis. A man grows what he can and he tends it. Because what you buy is what you own. And what you own always comes home to you. What does that mean for you with this film? I mean, I think it means that kind of, you know, in this time especially, the males were always seen as kind of the breadwinner. um, And that they had to be basically um, the family man. They had to make the money they had to come home and take care of the family at night the mo- the mothers were kind of the makers of the home the homemakers yeah exactly yeah, sure um and i think what he's saying there is we have to deal with a little bit more of the grittiness mm-hmm. you know of the everyday um and we have to deal with it and then come home and pretend like nothing happened sure i think it's i think it's an old mentality it's I th- stonier i think it's just an old mentality i yeah, think some of, of it course. rings true yeah um 
It's interesting for sure. I, I think it's great. I, I, I love that kind of stuff. So, yeah. yeah. And I, I liked when the he was talking about how the uh, the ground went sour. Like, I, I love those kind of, like, Juddisms. Yeah, you know? sure. <laughs> if you right. will. But I, th- I think that's something, something that we can even, you know, think about today. I mean, we're, we're, I think we're in a, a place today where the ground is going sour in multiple places. You know, in, in Flint, Michigan, where the water is still bad today. And in, uh, in the Dakotas, where the Dakota Access Pipeline, where, you know, people are being poisoned by oil spills into their watersheds. So don't bury people there. Don't bury people <laughs> there. And, and, you know, and also, like, you know, respect, respect the traditions and the, and the land and the people who are there. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, don't, don't fucking go in and bury your, your dead son in someone else's, you know, cemetery. Right. Don't do it. I know. They're going to come back. They're going to kill you. Um, I think the other thing that I just wanted to talk about this, just because I, I watched the documentary about this yes, as well. Yes, um, This was kind of a weird project because um, Stephen King originally wrote the book based on his own experiences when he went up to be a, a professor at the University of Maine. Mm-hmm. And he lived on a road very similar to this yeah. and had a scare with his kid. Yeah. Um, another thing is that he wrote this screenplay and was basically didn't want to publish it. He's like, this is too much. Wow. He put it in a dresser drawer and didn't think about it for a long time. His wife actually was the one that kind of pulled it out and said, like, no, you need to, you need to wow. do something with Imagine this. Imagine if he hadn't done that. I know. And then um, they, had to really, <coughs> they had to really fight for this movie to be made, too. There was a woman that was kind of really kept bringing the script to the studio. And every time the studio was like, no, I'm not doing Pet Cemetery. It's too morbid. I don't want to do it. Um, and she just kept going at it. And then, sure enough, there was a writer's strike in the late 80s. And they basically needed already made scripts. Like they, they just needed good movies that were already written because they weren't going to have writers for it. And so they basically were saying like, who has a script? And she like went to go raise her hand and the, the guy, the lead guy at the Universal or whatever, Paramount, I think. Paramount. Paramount. Yeah. Was basically like, if you say Pet Cemetery, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. But she was like, okay, but it, just letting you know. And eventually it did get made. It's almost like they buried the script in Pet Cemetery, And then it resurrected. And it resurrected, and it came to life. Yes. Didn't kill anybody. Yes. Paper cuts, maybe. Yeah. That, that, is, that is a good possibility, especially in 1989. When it was and made. then do you know where Stephen King makes his appearance in this movie? Because he, t- he tends to make an appearance in every movie. He is the priest at the funeral of, of the, uh, oh, what's her name in the movie? Oh, I can't remember. Oh, I can't remember her name. She's the crazy lady, though. Crazy, she, crazy lady dies, and Stephen King is the priest at the funeral. He actually he Missy actually, Dandridge, Missy, he, and he actually does a great job. I, I, I paid special attention to him today, um, and and he's he's actually sort of precious. <laughs> he, really, he really is. Like it is always funny to see like what he's gonna sh- where he's right. gonna show up. It's like his Alfred Hitchcock moment. Yeah, and, know, it's, like, and it's wonderful. It's it's great to see him. Yeah, and um, and you know what? He's a Mainer, so it makes sense yeah. that, that he should actually be there. He's he's truly authentic to the film. And how do you feel about these Maine accents? I love a good Maine accent. Yeah. I, I honestly do. I, I think the the Mainer, the, the the down east accent is so unique in this country. It's very hard to find anywhere else except for Maine. Um, and I think it's endearing. And I think it really harkens back to like old America, which I think is another interesting thing about it because it really does make you feel like it's it's sort of like an ancient thing that you're connecting to. Yeah. Because Americans are, we sound like Americans and we mostly sound like, you know, sort of broad vowel Americans across the country, unless you're in the South, unless you're like kind of like in the Northeast. I got a little bit of like a Minnesota thing sometimes. Yeah, yeah no, sure. But, well, because you're, you know. you're from Michigan. Yeah. 
Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I've lived in the city for a good long while, but I still retain a lot of my Indiana uh, affectations. Um, but when it comes to a Mainer accent, it is just something else. Yeah. Because you feel like you're in another country. Yeah. So I think, I, think it's, I think it's really important for the film. And I think it's fun. It's yeah. Fun. I think it's fun to listen to. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's rate this. Uh, how many stripes are in a rainbow again? Seven. Okay, good, because I've had at least seven drinks so far. Oh my gosh, you have? You know, it, it's Saturday. I know, it's but... It's Saturday, um, and I love my people. Um, the, the more I drink, the better I am for you. <laughs> um, Pet Cemetery for me, will always be a six out of seven stripes. I think it's a, a superb horror film. It is wonderful. Uh, it's, it's still, it still holds the test of time, except for the flashbacks. I definitely agree with you there. Yeah. Um, I'm excited for the remake, and I think it's I'm really not. good. I don't so want. I don't want. I don't want a remake. I don't. I don't think it needs it. Mm-hmm. Well, but, how do you, how do you rate the original at least? Um, I'm struggling to not give this like a really, really like. You know, it, just be honest. I rewatched it. I rewatched it again. Give us your tea, girl. Um, oh, one thing. Okay, I'll give it a six point five. Oh, six and a half. My yeah. goodness. Um. It was funny. She has spoken. <laughs> it was funny. Uh, I distinctly remember my introduction to this movie. I was at a babysitter's house, and she had the VHS. And I just remember being terrified <laughs> of the VHS sleeve. Like, that was what made me scared. And I'm like, I can't ever watch that movie. Oh, my God. That's perfect. But, all right. So, so I give it so six point five and a half. Yeah. I'm, I'm at a six. That means it's pretty damn good. If you haven't seen it before, you got to go see it. If you have streaming, you can pretty much only rent it on Netflix, but it's 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 you definitely oh, not, not Netflix. You can rent it on iTunes or purchase it. It is so well worth it. It's a great movie. And honestly, get the Blu-ray. The Blu-ray looks yeah, really Blu-ray. good. And you know what? Watch it now before the remake comes out because the remake is going to come out pretty soon. Um, and you need to really compare both of them. I think. I think. I think it's going to be worth it. And I think if you haven't seen the original, you gotta. Yeah, it's worth. I it. agree. So we're gonna take a break. And we're going to go bury some pets in an ancient burial ground. Um, and also I'm going to go bury the corpse of an ex-boyfriend. Um, because I wanted to bring him back to kill him again. So give us uh, just, a, just a moment. Go get a drink. We are. And we'll see you next for A Quiet Place. Who are we if we can't protect them? We are going to be talking about the brand new movie, A Quiet Place. Ooh. So, wait, 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 just be quiet. Okay, we're ready. All right, good. Yeah. As long as you appreciate that. Yeah, sure. So, A Quiet Place, a really interesting new film from John Kosinski, who who directed it also, um, and uh, starring also his wife, Emily Blunt, and they both star in it as a married couple. It's a really interesting movie. Uh, It's post-apocalyptic. Something has happened in the world. We don't know exactly what it is. We don't know how it all originated. What we do know is that the world now has to live in quiet. 
And you have to live in quiet, but if you're not quiet, you make any sound at all above a certain decibel, there are insane, terrifying creatures... That are blind. That are also blind, that come along and eat you. Like, not just, like, eat you, but just, like, decimate you. <laughs> like, entirely decimate you. I, I think what's really interesting about this film, in, in a lot of ways, is that, it, you know, it, it, it's a creature horror film. And they show the creature really, you know... Pretty early. There's, it's, it's early. There's no hiding what this thing is. And the creature's pretty it's pretty terrifying. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, some of the... It looks like, like out, straight out of a Resident Evil video oh, game. Oh, big time, yeah. yeah. And, and just the head of this thing alone mm-hmm. is, is really... It's terrifying. These creatures, though, have a, a really insane sense of sound, obviously. They can locate it anywhere. They know precisely where you are when you make a sound above a certain decibel level. And they find you, and they just get you. So this story is also about a family. So going back to our, our theme for this entire episode, this family uh, that we're following in the world, they are in, um, they're in this, this, uh, like sort country of, area. Sort of like country-ish town yeah, city Yeah, like thing. small town USA. Yeah, small yeah. town USA. Still right. has like a main street. Yeah, there's still a main like, street. Yeah. There are still stores. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's all that, that, kind of where we that open. sort of thing. Yeah. Exactly, right. So we open there. And this family is, is going through this little town on the main street, going to get supplies. And they're going to get supplies because one of, one of their children is sick. Mm-hmm. And so they go to this, like, sort of general pharmacy. You should probably say they, at this thing. point they have three children. Yeah, they have three children. Two now. boys and a girl. Two boys and a girl. And the girl is deaf. The, the, girl, is, the girl is for real deaf. And, and she has a cochlear implant exactly. to help her hear at least. To, um, like areas around her. Exactly. It doesn't help you. To hear sort of ambience. Exactly. Around. Yeah. Um, so, of course, this family, because they have a deaf child and, and as an Avergo family, they all know sign language, which definitely benefits them in this new terrifying world. And so, when they're, they, they, they go to find medicine, they find the medicine. Um, while they're in there, the, the, the youngest child, who is, who is the little boy, um, he finds a, a, a little spaceship. Yeah, like a, like a NASA yeah, it's, toy. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a space shuttle, and of course it has batteries in it, and it makes sounds. So when the family sees him with it, everyone of course is like, oh my god! Well, they don't say that, obviously. But they see it, and they take it away from him, and they, they sign to him, saying that you can't have this. And of course he's a toddler, he doesn't understand why he can't have this thing. Um, and so after they get the drugs, and then they're all fine to go, they're ready to get back to, to, their, to their encampment, um, on the way out, the daughter, who is deaf, uh, has, has compassion for the child and, and gives him, without the batteries, the, the space shuttle. But she conveniently places them right within the Exactly. So before the whole family leaves, well, the whole family leaves, mm-hmm. then the little boy looks over, sees the batteries, and grabs them as he walks out. So they're all walking back to their home, which is this, this really actually beautiful little farm that they have. And on the way, um, they, the, uh, the family doesn't realize it, but the little boy has the batteries, puts them back into the space shuttle, and unfortunately, he makes sounds. And when he makes the sounds, the creature comes and kills the child, and that's really the beginning of the movie. And it's really reminiscent of Pet Cemetery. It really is. It's the dad goes running after the child, and he knows he's not going to make it on time, and the creature you can see is coming from the other side, right. and you know that creature is going to get to him close. Right. While at the same time, the whole family is watching this happen. Right. And so they can't make any sound either because the creature will come and get them. Right. And so it's this terrifying moment of watching this member of your family die 
at the hands of some crazy fucking creature. And you still can't talk. And you can't do a thing about it. You can't scream. You can't do anything. You can't do anything. And that sets the tone for the entire film from there. So it's all about this family surviving mm-hmm. in their farm. And, and when you, when you, when we go to their farm, we see all the systems that they have in place. Right. So that is a really interesting part of this film. We see that they have, uh, they've somehow, they've gotten sand, um, and they, they've made a sand track for themselves, really, from their farm to everywhere. So there is sand down on the walkways all the way to town. So they don't make footsteps. So that they don't yeah. make any sounds at all. None of them wear shoes. They have uh, marked in the house where to step so that the floorboards don't creak. Yeah, there's right. a lot of precautions that they're taking. Many precautions. And we, you soon realize, this is a year later, by the way. It's a year yeah, later. Yeah. It's a year later after the incident that happened on Earth where these creatures No, 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 of the boys. Of, of, boys of the boys. Yeah. yeah, 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 sure. So, so when, we're, when we go to their farm, we also see how they've set everything up for their own lives. And they've, um, like, for example, we, we see them eating dinner. Mm-hmm. And at dinner, there are no plates. There are no, there, there is no silverware. There's nothing like that. Everything is served on, like, a, like, like a kale or a lettuce leaf. Yeah. Um, they all eat with their hands. The food is soft, so they all can eat very quietly. None of them talk, of course. Um, they, they have a basement area where they can sort of muffle some of their sound. So every now and then, when they're signing this Yeah. Um, but that, that, that's really about it. Well, we find out that they're basically making a, a, a room for the now pregnant Emily Blunt. Yes, because of course, what you should do as a family in the midst of uh, Horrible apocalypse. an entire apocalypse across the entire world is make another baby. That's going um, to make sound. Yeah, sure. That is obviously going to cry because you can't tell a baby not to cry. So smart idea, straight people. Way to go. Make another baby. Um, and so they do. And so it's, it, there's this, this extra added tension of Emily Blunt being nine months pregnant, um, while there are creatures outside waiting to hear any possible sound that they can. Right. And come in and kill you and eat you. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, 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 it's interesting. Terrifying. It's very, very interesting. Yeah. Um, and so they're basically baby proofing, I think the, basement of the barn they are so they're putting like paper mache on all the walls yeah, they, like, they, they have a mattress over the trap door yeah so know, th- things like that they, they've created a crib for the baby uh where uh the baby has like an oxygen mask over its over its little tiny face i'm like where are you finding that baby mask yeah so seriously <laughs> so they have this little tiny mask for it and they put they put it on the baby and then they put it in this in this crib contraption and they cover that entire crib with another wooden slab so this this, this poor baby has to, like, literally live in a box. I know. It's, it's really, really, it's really, it's really sad. But before the baby's even born, um, we, we, we see them, uh, struggling before, before that with, with, with her labor. Yeah. Um, a lot of things happen. So the, the probably the most, uh, anxiety inducing scene of the film is when Emily Blunt is doing laundry and she is bringing the laundry upstairs. The laundry gets caught on a nail in the stairs, and it brings the nail up. So, of course, she doesn't see this nail being brought up. And then when she's coming back down the stairs, she lands her foot. Right right on that nail. on this nail. It goes all the way through her foot. Like, she has to pry it off. She has to pry it off. But at the same time, she's carrying a picture frame. She drops the picture frame... Which then, of course, makes a cacophony of sound in this vacuous space. 
And wouldn't you guess it, the creatures come. And then wouldn't you guess it, she goes into labor. And of course she goes into labor right then. And it is terrifying. Um, it, it's, a, it's a movie, I think, about, um, for me, when I look at all of, of what this movie could be about, I really do think about where we are now. Because mm-hmm. this movie does take place now. Yeah, it's 2018. It takes place right now. Yeah. It's 2018. And, um, and it, it, it makes me think about how in the current political climate where we are, we're so loud. We're so loud. And maybe is this movie a commentary on us needing to be quieter as a society to fight the monsters that are destroying us? It's really what I did think about. Because why mm-hmm. this movie, why now? Yeah. Um, I, I think that, we, that we, we could attack it in a number of different ways. But I think we are just so loud with each other on, on all sides. We're oh, all yeah. yelling and screaming. Well, not only that, but just in like everyday life. Oh like, I mean, God, yes. can you think of all the obnoxious people on the train or like people that... Well, on social media. They're just... Everyone... We live in a noisy place. Right. So, so why not send monster down here that can hunt us by well, noise? Entirely. <laughs> and so, it, you know, it's like, it's like now, I mean, really imagine right now as we're living today, you know, with, with a, lot of, a lot of terror around us and a lot of horrors around us. What if we had to be completely silent? Yeah. All the time. How would that change? Lots us? of people would die. <laughs> right. Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's really a pretty incredible commentary on the time we're living now. What did you think about it? The movie overall? Yeah, or, sure. Why not? Um, I mean, overall, I like the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I maybe suffered from... Because I just went and saw it this week. Yeah. And I think I maybe suffered for me a little bit of being, like, really hyped up. Like, people were, like, saying, this is the next coming of the horror movie. Like, yeah, this sure. is the best movie ever. And I liked it. I don't think it's, like, the best movie ever. I think it has a lot of issues. Um, I think they play with the rules of this world pretty fast and loose. I agree with you. Like, so you can you can have a truck go down a road. It's not it's not engines not on, but roll right. down a road, and the, right. the, they're not going to hear that. Exactly. Like I don't know. It's just I probably shouldn't be this harsh on it. Yeah, sure. But there's just little things like that that bug me. Well, I mean, it, it, it's hard because it's you know it, it, the the suspension of disbelief is possible when there aren't so many rules attached to it, right? And so when you have a film like this where there are suddenly a lot of rules, like it's it's difficult to pry yourself away from those rules because that's how we're supposed to be in this world. Right. This world means we can't make sound. If we make sound, then this happens. So when you see things making sound and nothing happens, it does sort of make you go, eh, really? Yeah. Um, So I, I think it's all about like, I mean, for me anyway... I totally got that. I think that I had enough fun with the movie. I mean, even though it's you know it's certainly not fun, but you, yeah, no, you, I know you mean. You know what I mean. Uh, it, I had enough fun with it that I could let it go. Yeah. Um, but did I think this was necessarily like the like one of the scarier movies that I've seen? Honestly, not really. I was yeah. really surprised about that. Um, is there anything? Are there any moments in the movie you want to talk about before we really get to kind of like our thoughts on it? Um. So, so one of the problems that I had for sure. Uh, was was actually the the nail scene. So the the nail scene itself, when the nails in the stair and, and you know she she pops down and it's it's horrific. Um, I thought it was very well done. Yeah, like it, it's this incredible sequence of 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 pain. I mean, because you you know what there's it a lot of tension like. with that. So too. much tension, yeah. and you know what it would feel like to step on a nail all the way through your foot. And especially if you're a pregnant woman that is also in labor, especially at the same like time. in your heel. Oh my god, like it's it's absolutely awful. So that that part was very well done. 
After that, though, the nail remains in the stairs. I was actually waiting for the monster to step on it. Yeah, <laughs> you know seriously. What I mean? Like, I mean, you know, it, it's it's like she didn't tell it. It's like she didn't tell John Krasinski, like, oh, yeah, but by the way, there's a nail in the stair. Can you take it out? Yeah. Like, nobody said anything about it. And so, and, and they keep showing that nail in the stairs. I know. And I'm like, is someone going to step on it or not? I thought that was sort of cheaply done. I have to be honest. Like, either someone's going to step on it or get rid of the motherfucker. Yes, yeah, stop showing it. Like, stop showing it to me and make me, and, and sort of like goading me on yeah. to think that something's going to happen because nothing ever did. And then all of a sudden, the nail was forgotten. Yeah. So I, I, that is the one big thing that I had. It's not even that big of a thing. But it was big enough that I was like, oh, why did you do that? Yeah, so we should say for the, for the rest of this movie, basically, it's all about um, what starts that whole series of events. They light these fireworks off so that the monsters are confused. In that moment, Emily Blunt has her baby. Right. So she's able to kind of yell out. And scream. Um, and then we kind of have a whole evening of just like, all right, battling we're gonna, the creatures. Yeah, battling the creatures. We go to a silo. There's a lot, a lot of stuff that happens that I don't think we really need to go into too much yeah, detail, sure. just because it is a pretty new movie. Um, and we, we get the, the part where basically you go into this movie thinking, well, I know at least one of these family members is not going to make right. it out of here alive. Exactly. Like, who's yeah. it going to be? I'm right. just waiting for that moment. And we find out that you know they have this, they have this moment where they talk about. Um, Emily Blunt and John Krasinski's characters basically say like we can't, we have to protect them at any at, well who are we who are we as parents if we don't protect them so then this leads to this uh, emotional part where basically John Krasinski has to sacrifice himself yeah so so that his kids can get away yeah that's the big death of the movie yes then we kind of go on this weird journey where we go back to the house Emily Blunt's there with the baby they go down in the basement creatures come back. We find out that the cochlear implant that he had made for the deaf girl for the deaf daughter um, has some sort of reaction with their uh, ear, with the, their listening. Exactly, yeah. And at a high enough pitch, it kind of sends them into a fr- like a frenzy. Right. So that's kind of how we understand that. Oh, so this is their weakness. Ah, uh, we found a way. And we should say that um, on all of the uh, signs and everything, they right. We know that one's gone. Yeah. But then, obviously, the sound of the shotgun is going to have a big issue with this. We just have a moment where they kind of just look at each other, all, like, action, like... Before that, they look at the screens. Mm-hmm. After, after, they see after, them coming, after the yeah. Sound, and they see not, like, two, but they sequence. There are suddenly a bunch coming. Oh, I just took it as it was the path that was coming. No, there, there, there are multiple creatures coming. I, I, it's yeah. at this part of the farm, and now this screen, because at this part, it's getting closer, it's right. getting closer, like, we got to do something yeah. about this. Well, it was just so abrupt. It, and, and it was also abrupt. And, and also, like, I don't know... Um, a lot of things right here. I'm no, not, I'm they, not they trying they to dog on this did. movie at all. One thing that I would ask is, what sort of debt that's really on my mind? If they can, even. If I, they can, right? Because, I mean, you know, let's just say it in, a, in, a, in an ideal world of this film, they get rid of all of them. Still loud and talking. What is it? I don't know. Yeah, I think I think that that was really uh, bringing out of that question within myself from watching this film. I think that was that was worth it. This movie really succeeds in a, is in a lot of its details. Yeah, sure. So, like at the beginning, I know we talked about this earlier. Do they crunch? They make noise. Their bags make noise. Like exactly. that. That was a good little detail. They're loud. Like, like their photos, photos because they're yeah. very in real life. Right. Sure. Like I don't know. There's there's good stuff in here. 
Uh, I have some real issues with some parts, though. Yeah. So I, we talked about this earlier, but there's a scene where he basically takes the little boy who's, like, the scaredest one out of all of them. Yeah. Um, takes him to the river to kind of do, like, the fishing. Yeah, to go, to go catch fish and to go, like, make sure that, you know, to, to teach his son how, how to help him. To yeah, and how to live. Yeah. Exactly. And um, he basically says, like, stop being so scared. We're by the river. It makes noise. So you, you just have to be quieter than the fall. And basically, like, the waterfall's really loud. It's a big waterfall. So they're able to, like, yell out for the first time in, you know, probably a long, a long time. time. And I think we were talking, and we were like, then just go live by the river. I mean, exactly. I, I mean, honestly, why couldn't you... If they, if they have found a way to construct a life at a farm, which would require noise, I might add, yeah. for all of those things, I know. then why couldn't they find a way to live by the river? Yeah. I, I mean, and this goes back to, you know, suspension of disbelief, and this is... You know, it's the world that they're creating for us. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, you just have to kind of go along with Yeah, it. I mean, and, there's and definitely, like, some suspension sure. of disbelief here. Like, right. Did John Krasinski write this, too? That, I don't know. I don't think so. I think he only directed. Production? Find us some notes on that. Because um, maybe the film would have benefited from... Maybe just some more consultation. Where the plot could have gone with just a, a little bit more filling in of the plot holes. I don't, I don't think that that, 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 that would have hurt. Um, but even that being said, I, I think it was still for for John Krasinski's first real foray into this. Yeah, I think it's a great job. Oh no, yeah, it shot really well. Um, I, I'm not sure that it needed music. Right. Oh, the music. We I really because I really liked that the silence parts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it challenged the moviegoer to fucking just be quiet. Yeah. Like there, were, I definitely knew going into this movie that it was you know a quiet place, and right. I, I take these, I, I take. Theater mm-hmm. etiquette, pretty serious. Of course, yeah, you should. So, like, I downed so like as much popcorn as I could. I did too before it started because yeah. I knew once it started, same. I was gonna have to put it down. Totally. Same. Um, but how was your theater experience? So my theater experience was actually really interesting. I saw it. I saw it at the Century Cinema on Clark Street in Chicago, um, which is a great place to see a movie. And before the movie started. Um, uh, it, it's one of those theaters where you know the, the the curtains draw and the screen sort of comes forward a little bit to get in in the right uh, the right dimensions for the film, and so that happened, and then it just sort of sat there and did nothing, <laughs> and it was quiet, and no one in the theater knew quite what to, there weren't that many of us. Yeah. So, I, so I literally right after I was done with work, um, there weren't that many folks in there, but we were all sort of like, What's what going are on? we doing? Yeah, and for a minute I thought. Was this intentional? Like, did they maybe instruct certain theaters no. to... Once again, you're reaching. To take, well, I mean, maybe just for fun, though, you know? Like, maybe they told certain theaters, like, make it really quiet first. Like, give it, give it some space of time and then put it on. I think, actually, for us, it actually did help. I think, I think it gave us a moment where we were all kind of just a little discombobulated. And we had to sort of go, oh, I'm in a quiet place right now. Yeah. And I'm ready to see a quiet film. I don't know. So for me, that 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 helped to set the tone. Um, it definitely gave me some time to eat some popcorn again. But like, uh, were like the other people were the other people like respectful that it was? Other like... people, other people were very respectful. I you know at, at the start of the film, I, I I heard a few murmurs throughout the audience. Yeah, those quickly went away. Yeah. Um. At at the very quiet moments, um, people did not. Talk. Yeah, and, and I think and that's like the. I think that's something that movie does really well is it creates the atmosphere of yeah. silence, and that's then 
put onto the audience. Like, exactly. I dare you to make a noise right now because yeah, right. everyone is going to sure. look right at you. <laughs> but but to, to go back to the music though, I, I think that I think that's where this film fails. Um, I think that the music felt canned. Yeah. Um, and the music felt heavy-handed in trying to guide our emotions. And I think that that's a mistake that new directors make. Sure. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I sh- while I say failed earlier, I don't mean that this movie failed because of it. I think that the music fails, though. I think it was, as I've already said, too heavy-handed, too guiding. Um, I think it would have been better if, if, if we have to have any sort of music at all, Maybe think about some some something a little bit just more representational, something mm-hmm. a little bit more ambient, um, something that isn't quite as orchestral. Yeah, uh, because the music just it, it was like swelling. It was swelling, like, yeah. and it was it was oh, it was melancholy, and it was joyful. Like, I, I, I don't. I don't think that. you needed it. I think that the story told itself well as it was. We, I don't need to have... Um, I don't need to be led. I don't need to be led. I don't need the guiding director's hand to give me a director's note before the show. Like, yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Just tell your story and have confidence in it. And I think that as a new director, maybe he didn't have the full confidence that we wanted him to have. Yeah. It would be interesting to see one, a cut of it without the music. You know what? It really would be. Yeah. Um, and then my, my, like, I swear this is my last complaint. Yeah, Sure. The way that this movie was marketed, and oh, the way yeah, that the sure. and the way that the trailer was cut, yeah. I felt like I was just watching an extended trailer because yeah. the whole movie, besides the John Krasinski death, yeah. is in the trailer. Yeah, sure. You have no emotion for the little boy at the beginning right. of getting killed because you saw it in the trailer. Yeah, exactly. Like, right. and I, sure. I, I, I tend to like. Usually, what happens for me is I watch the first trailer. And if if I need more questions answered, then I'll continue to watch trailers. Yeah, right. But if you convinced mm-hmm. me in the first trailer, I'm not going to watch anymore. Yeah, I'm going to try to avoid them as much as possible. Because yeah, why why wouldn't you want to be surprised and delighted right. when you're watching the film? So that was like, I'm just like, can, no, know, like yeah, right. it, this the whole movie's in there. And it's it. You know, like, we we were talking earlier about how um, you know you basically see that first moment where where the youngest son dies. Right. Like it's it's basically in the trailer. Yeah. And so like. Why would you give that away? Because yeah. I, I will say that at, at the start of the film, because that, that that's before the credits even launch. Right. You know, you you see this happen, and it was definitely diminished because I already knew it was going to happen. Yeah. And I mean, and you know, the, granted, the, in in the storytelling, there was enough foreshadowing that, like, look, as soon as the film started, you knew this kid was going to die. Yeah. You knew it right away. But if I hadn't already seen it in the trailer, I would have been more surprised by it. I might have even been more shocked by it. Yeah, because it's a and little I kid. And I was not shocked. Yeah. I was not shocked. And I think that goes back for me uh, that this just wasn't as like scary as a film as I wanted it to be. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was interesting. I really enjoyed the post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic genre. Yeah. I mean, like Mad Max as a kid, like, that's one of my favorite I mean, the, favorite u- films. the universe they put this in is really, it's really, really good. cool. Yeah. But like, that some of the specifics needed some more work, needed some more consultation. And honestly, I think this movie could have been longer. Like I felt it like it was very a little long. Was it, it? it was. I just felt like oh, what that's it, the what end. What does it clock in at? Can you talk about? I want to find that that time right now. But I don't remember it being all that long, really. And 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 I think you're right. It, a little bit more time to to explore the universe a little bit more, to explore the story a little bit more. And to, and to, um, it, it, it was an hour and a half, an hour and a so half. So just 90 minutes. I mean, and by, by today's standards, 90 minutes, 
is short. Yeah. And it, usually I'm like, I oh, am. That's like a Netflix episode. I am not one for an overly long movie. No, sure. But I think that this could have benefited from a little bit more um, character work, a little bit more of a family dynamic. Agreed. Like, so that you really feel for these people. Yeah. Because um, ultimately, at the end of the day, I was like, I kind of feel for the um, the mom character. Yeah. And that's kind of it. I mean, I, I, so one of the things that I thought was very important about the film, that was great. No, I thought the uh, representation of... It was so... It was so authentic. Yeah. It was so real. The representation of, like, the sign language and everything. Oh, it was... And it was mega props. And, and it was absolutely, like, authentic to, to the story. Yeah. So that was... That was and that's what important. I mean. The details in this movie are good. I'm not saying it's not a good movie. I just think that there's some issues in there that if this maybe wouldn't have been a first-time director... Right. And I'm, I'm eager to see like, just a little bit more of a... Concrete package. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I'm interested to see if he continues on, on the horror genre. Well, he's already been greenlit for another movie. Oh, really? Something like something like Life on Mars. A or cousin of like horror, that. then, I yeah. would say. Yeah. Well, that, I think that's really interesting. Um, and I'm sure it will come. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it was really important to have a deaf actress in, in the film to begin with. That That's important for just, just for like, fucking goodness. You know what I mean? Like, like this, I mean, she, she's pretty. I don't, I don't know how young that actress was. She appears to be very young. Mm-hmm. And she's no, very, very good. I definitely didn't hate the kids. Right. Like usually, I, you, usually you hate the kids. I, you know I, did, I, mean? I didn't. So. I mean, uh, and her name actually is Millicent Simmons. And I cannot find her age right now, but she's, I mean, she's younger. You know, and she, I think she did a great job. Yeah, I agree. Um, and representation in films is extremely important. Mm-hmm. And I think that the world sort of underplays that. Like, film is how we see ourselves mirrored to ourselves. And having real people from underserved communities actually be themselves yeah, for sure. in a film. As I say, a lot of straight people play gay characters. I often ask myself, like, you couldn't find a gay actor? Yeah. Like, I mean, come on. Band on yes. Broadway, and they cast all gay men. And they cast gay men yeah. in gay roles. Yeah. Sure. So it's right. just, but taking it that concept. It is their merits, yeah. and, it, and it is also who they are. Yeah, it's just nice to gay characters in movies where usually um, people, like, you know, in the birdcage. Right, like, Where exactly. it's like, way over the top. Like, right. You know, where the sassy... I didn't see, like... Yeah, how, how could you be Albert or Agador? Right. I mean, come on. I know. Or so getting a little bit more recognition, um, if that kind of changes the scope of how we're casting these characters. No, I, you know, I really hope so. I mean, I have such a, a, a deep interest in theater. When Miss Saigon first, first came the conductor, mm-hmm. and that is an Asian character, Jonathan Price is... But why on earth... Would you cast him yeah. in Yellowface as an Asian character? Right. To come out, especially with, with B.D. Wong's uh, leadership on this, uh, to come in acting, um, in modern acting, where, where other artists came together and now it's time to talk about it. And things really did start to shift from there. Um, it hasn't shifted the trans community, uh, but also with communities like the deaf community. I think it's easy. I think, I think. Right. And it's just nice. put some sunglasses on and call it a day. Yeah, sure. Like, and kind of like bumble around and, you know, use your hands and whatever. Need to respect. If, if you're going to be an artist, that, that's how yep. I feel about it. All right. Tangent over. Yeah. <laughs> right? Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? I'm pretty good. I think, I think I'm good. I, I think this, this one is a little tough for me to grade. Um, good. If, if, by the way, if you're some honking right now, we just want to remind you that we live in an urban area, <laughs> and uh, and in Chicago, you'll hear many sounds from creatures from the Black Lagoon 
to and if, you, if to we ever if we ever record buzzing. if we ever record at our place, you'll probably hear the L train. Yeah, exactly. The L train. Right. So <laughs> so you know, deal with it and know that you're in our space. Um, but if I'm going to, is that person driving? With their they home? are. They sure are. Folks, there is a person driving by our studio right now. See what I'm going to do. I'm going to give them a zero out of eight strikes. Yes, seriously. And also, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pause. This is a test of the emergency podcasting system. Listen to the Psychosemantic Podcast. Politics, movies, and political movies. Find us on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, LegionPodcasts.com, The Psychosemantic Podcast. Okay, so we took a little pause there for a city break, because in the city, you never know what you might hear. Those sounds are now over. Thank you for being with us. We're back to grade... Quiet place. A quiet place. And remember that we do a rating of seven stripes for the seven stripes of the pride flag. And I'm going to give this film a four out of seven. Oh, wow. I am. It's a little bit lower than what I wanted it to be. Um, It's not that I didn't like the film. I think that there were just some problems. And I think I'm just being critical. Yeah. I I think he's a first-time director. I think he did a great job. But I think for this one, you know, I genuinely liked it. Was I really scared by it? Not really. Yeah. There were a couple of issues that I had, so I'm pretty comfortable with, with my four. I really wish I would have seen this without seeing the preview, or at least the preview that they put together. Uh, fair enough. Because then it would have been a lot more surprising for me. Um, I'm, I'm going to come in a little higher than you. I okay. think I'm going to... I really like try to think about what I've given other movies. Yeah, fair enough. And the we, we graded The Ritual... I gave that a five. I think oh. this is about the same, so I'm gonna give I'm gonna give this a five as well. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. I think uh, I think a five is fair. So yeah. four and a five from us. That means it's worth it for you to go see. Oh, it's definitely see it in the theater. Yeah, because see it. Please go see it in the theater. It's it only is, gonna play better. And, and and having an audience around you that is also like quiet, it really adds to it. So make it a point. Use your movie pass or just pay the damn ten bucks. Go to it. It's worth it. So a quiet place. John Krasinski directs, Emily Blunt stars. It's wonderful. We think you'll like it. back for our last segment to close out the show and we're bringing back because we had so much fun with it last time slice left slice right yeah you know um with all the people that i meet on actual tinder i think that actually some of them i I wouldn't mind slicing now and then so this this is a fun segment for me do you want do you want me to go first or you want to go first well why don't you present present the person as a reminder to everybody Slicing left means we don't like them. Slicing right means we want to have their baby. So let's let's go from there. All right. Okay. Yeah. Who's first? Fair. Um, first, we have John Krasinski. Slicing right immediately. Are you kidding me? Come on. He pops up in my in my Tinder feed or whatever. Like I'm ready to slice right immediately. 
Yeah, I liked him better when he was a little younger and a little nerdier, but I'm, I'll still slice right. Oh, I mean, how could you not? I just liked him better, like, office days, just because he was just, like, a little nerdier. And, and he was cute. He, yeah. he, he was cute then. He's still cute now. He's a little more rugged now that I kind of... I kind yeah, of but, like, like not. Bit. You think? No. Like, I... Not rugged at all? Like, with him with a beard, I kind of thought it was, like, laughable, to be honest. Oh, come on. <laughs> I, I, thought it was kind of, I thought it was kind of precious. But. And usually, I, I don't like a beard. You know that. Um, all right. So, next... Mm-hmm. Is Dick DeVos from the DeVos family. Dick DeVos. So I have a question about this one. Please. Do we get the money as well? Yeah. Sure. Yes, you do. How long do I have to sustain this relationship? The rest of your life. Uh, it's tempting, but I guess I'll just have to sli- uh, slice left. I'm very proud of you, because for a moment <laughs> I didn't know where you were going to go with that. <laughs> I am slicing left on Dick DeVos because I would not go near that dick for for five billion dollars, which is what he's worth. So yeah, I wouldn't go near it at all. I'm done. You wouldn't even like like you just have to give it like a little touch. No, not gonna. And you get five billion dollars. Listen, I've touched a lot of dicks in my life, and I am not touching a DeVos dick. All right. Or a Dick DeVos. I digress. Oh, who's next? Um, Dale Midkiff, which is basically the uh, Lewis Creed. The father yeah. in Pet Cemetery. Yeah. Um, so I have not seen Dale Midkiff like today. He still looks pretty good. Not sure how he looks. I would definitely say like in Pet Cemetery, he sort of looks like an 80s porn star would look, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I agree. So I'm going to slice right because uh, it yeah. reminds me of my childhood. Slice right, for sure. Yeah. So, I had a crush on him when I was a kid. And how could you so, not? Yeah. And, he kind of speaks in a weird way too in the movie. It, it's like, like his, it's his jaw. His movement. mouth moves weird, yeah. which kind of turns me on a little bit. That is the weirdest thing you've said well, on this podcast. You know, I, I, listen. I mean, I, you know, you, you gotta whatever floats your boat. Yeah, sure. That's what I'm going with. Uh, you know, you know, you okay. do you. All right. So the next one is, um, oh, what's his name? Miko Miko Hughes. Miko Hughes. Now, Miko Hughes. Not now. not baby. Obviously, Gage. not Gage. We're not listen to go back to what we we're talking about before. That that's not that's not what we're doing. Michael Michael Hughes, Michael Hughes, whatever how Mico. you pronounce his name, Michael Hughes, who played Gage in Pet Cemetery. Are you then slicing played, left or slicing right? And then he also played the kid in um, New Nightmare. Oh God, that's right, Jesus. So he had a little bit of a kid career. He did. Um, I'm going. I always have to look to see which ones which. Oh my God. Um, I am going to slice left. I can't. I wouldn't think I'd be able to get over that. That's that little kid that I saw in that movie. Yeah, and and also too, I did look at a couple of photos from him recently. Um, you know, road... he's aged better than most kids. Yeah, stars. Sure, sure, <laughs> but he's still a little road hard, you know, mm-hmm. put away wet. So I. Um, I need something a little bit more softer for my taste. So I'm slicing left. Respectfully, I wish him the best. Yeah. All right. So then we have, of Munster's fame, Fred Gwynn. Oh, Fred Gwynn. I am slicing right on that, just for fun. I usually don't like older guys. Um, but in this case, I just want him to, like, take me fishing. Yeah. And, sure. like, touch my leg. It seems very inappropriate. But, well, you know, um, not now. So will he talk to me in that main accent? Absolutely. Yeah, I'll, yeah, sli- I'll slice right then. I-, I can't get enough of that. Oh, that's it. Like that main yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. And uh, the last. Yeah, the last one is Stephen King. Is this young Stephen King or now Stephen King? Oh God. No, I. Li- listen, if he wants to tell me a bedtime story, I'm all in. But as far well, as well, what about after the bedtime story? But that's what I'm saying. Beyond that, 
He's kind of a weirdo. Stephen King is totally a weirdo. So I'm going to slice left for a sexual Uh, partner. uh, Okay, so do I have to have sex with him? I mean, isn't that what the point of the date? Well, I'm just saying in this particular thing. Do I have to have sex with Stephen King? Give me that answer. You have to make that mind up for yourself. No, no, you give me that answer right now. Do I have to or not? I say yes. That's the point of going on dates is to eventually get to the bedroom. Is that is that what your point is at the time? Is that is that how you is that how it works? I mean, eventually, yeah. Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I I love Stephen King. I think he's a weirdo. Oh, he's one of my favorite authors of all time. I don't want to have sex with him. Um, but do I want to hang out with him? Do I want to like you know? That's not why you go on Tinder. Sometimes it is. Oh, um, please, you're fooling yourself. I'm, I'm gonna slice. I'm gonna slice left, but not obviously because of his talent. Or he's not a nice guy. He might be a close talker. He might be very soft-spoken in a bar and come too close to you and then, you know, really freak you out. Like, that actually happened to me last night. So, um, <laughs> what I'm trying to say here is I'm going to say slap. You guys didn't see uh, the dead that went into his eyes as he gazed into the into the yonder, thinking of this date? The abyss. <laughs> the abyss that I look into when I think of my dating life. Oh. Yes. All right, so that, that will end. Slice left, slice right. I think it's easier to say it that way. That's, it is. Yeah. You know, the more drinks that we have, we find more tongue twisters that, that involve our episodes. Uh, and Andrew, what drink are you on right now? This is my third. That's not your, that is I not have your t- third. I had two beers and a margarita. This is at least drink seven for me right now. Well, that's par for the course on this thing. Oh my God. It's always seven to three. That, that's the ratio that we have. Anyways, folks, that ends this segment. And it also ends episode four. So we are so glad that you have stayed with us in four episodes. It's so exciting to be yeah, here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we love all of our followers on Facebook. Uh, if you have not followed us there yet, please do. Please write us a review both on Facebook or on iTunes. We are coming very very, very soon to Stitcher. Yeah. Um, so get ready for that for all of our Android listeners. Um, we're so happy to be with you. Yeah. Oh, and I did want to congratulate um, David Anders. Yeah. Who won, won our very first contest. What did he win? He won an autographed picture of us, a Blu-ray of the a very gay classic, Hocus Pocus. Yes. And a Criterion Collection version of The, uh, the Shine. And he won the, uh, the glee of knowing that he won something right. and getting mentioned on our little humble podcast. So, David, we love you. You're so much fun to talk to on Facebook, too. We absolutely love interacting with you. Thank you for being our fan. Um, and we're so glad that you won. And th- if this helps encourage you to leave us a uh, review on iTunes... When we reach 25 reviews on iTunes, we'll be doing our next giveaway. We have some great prizes planned for that one, and a special surprise that is going to really good. So, folks, (laughs) thank you for being with us for episode four. Get ready for episode five coming up in just a couple of weeks. Thanks for being with us. It's been a lot of fun. See you later. Bye-bye.